0: So oh. Do you sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second.
1: <laughs> oh God, what a <laughs> scandal.
0: Austin
2: Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's making me like I'm from
0: a cameo, like I'm coming in and go, hand out the bag, England to win.
1: Hello and welcome to episode three. F- of Loaded Sport. I am your host Skin and I am back and tonight we have got plenty to be talking about in the sporting world. We've got the latest in the combat world as Kemp talks us through the latest in the UFC and an early preview for some big boxing fights that are coming up very soon. Sam will walk us through what happened in the World Cup of Darts as Wales once again became the world champions of darts. And uh, Kemp will also be walking us through what happened in the US Open in the Gulf as well. Um, Aggie, unfortunately, has the task of trying to make the Formula One sound much more exciting than what it usually is as he brings us the review of the Canada GP. And as always, we are going to start with football as we have got plenty to be discussing, both from an international aspect and also a domestic aspect with the transfer window well and truly open. Joining me are three lads that in my absence over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a smashing job bringing us through the end of the season and the start of the off-season, as it would be called in National Football League. And I'm going to introduce each and every single one of them now to see how they are. And first of all, Aggie. I'm going to bring you in, mate, back on hosting duties in my absence, mate. How are you doing? And how glad are you to be able to just sit back and talk about what you want tonight?
3: I feel so much better knowing that you're back hosting, mate. It's, it's very refreshing. So uh, welcome back and thank you for taking it back off me.
1: Uh, no, you're welcome, mate. And thank you for covering me. Well, I've been gone, but we'll get stuck into uh, a couple of Chesterfield signings. Finally announced that you've been bigging up for weeks on end. And, and as the days and weeks have gone by, starting to look a little bit silly in front of your friends, but some good news started to come in and some f- official news as well. So we'll get stuck into that later on. Uh, next up, we've got the man that is taken over on cap duties. It's, it's uh, Kempi. How are you doing, my friend? Mr. White Man with the mic. And it
0: who's it was that? Who's that? that... Who? Oh, Dorset. Oh, I oh, right. almost forgot, I almost yeah, forgot hey. what you'd look like after it's about right. six months off. Swanning around the country, <laughs> doing whatever the fuck you want. Um, it's beautiful to have you back, mate. Yeah, I'm really, really good. Thank
1: you. How are you? I'm well, mate. I'm well. Thank you. Uh, I am happy to be back. You're right. I've been enjoying myself over the last couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. It's been a. It's been a stressful couple of days but uh this uh the thought of being back with you lads chatting shit like we do has uh kept me going so yeah really looking forward to it and glad to be back and last but not least is the man that for this week and i'm sure i'll explain why has, has dropped the pursuit for the Under Armour brand deal he's dropped the cap but uh he is with us as always sam how are you doing my friend
2: all good, mate. All good. Yeah. Start off. Let's address the uh, the elephant in the room. The cap has gone tonight, boys. It's it's so hot. It's so it's it's only about twenty two, I think it is. But it's just so humid, and I sat here wearing it just in the pre room, uh, sweating. I thought I can't do that for an hour, an hour and a half. So the cap's gone tonight, first ever time. Uh, poured me some, poured me a little drink as I have uh, started the weekend early, and so little little rattling you'll be able to hear from a key, time to time will just be
1: my rum and cola. Absolutely, mate. And I'm I'm joining you tonight. I I'm it's to Tesco after work. It Ooh. doesn't look great on that camera, but it's, uh, it is a star of Prime and freshly uh, freshly poured. And uh, I'm gonna ask you the first question to to kick us off uh, this evening's proceedings and then I'm gonna take a big fucking gulp out of it mm. and uh, as they say to take the edge off. So we're gonna start lads with football and and as always we'll start with what's happened and then get into what's gonna be happening. Uh, and I think a good place to start is reviewing England's performance. They played Malta on Friday. Um, in Malta, they played at Old Trafford against North Macedonia on Monday uh, and winning both games by an aggregate score of 11-0. to nil. So I think the standard when it comes to England performances in qualifying, but I do think a couple of, of highlights from that is the performance of Bakayo Saka, who is, is coming more into his own on the international stage. But also the selection in both games of Trent Alexander-Arnold in that midfield role, uh, midfield role, a role that is moved into slightly as the season has progressed with Liverpool, but is now doing that on in an international stage, and, and I think has performed phenomenally well in that role. But Sam, where do you think going into next year's uh, Euros, where do you think we stand now with you know the potential lineup going into that tournament with what you've seen in the past two games?
2: Potential, mate, will always be right up there. One or two with us in France, you've got to say, um, in terms of winning the whole thing, anything other than a, than a, and a trophy would be a, 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 um, a failure in in my eyes. So, the emergence of Trent in that centre midfield just gives us a, a different dynamic. It's almost like having a Beckham at centre mid. His passing range is just absolutely phenomenal. I'm still waiting for Klopp to apologise to get out of Southgate for slagging him off two years ago when he when he played him centre mid first person to play him centre mid against I think it was Andorra and he didn't particularly play well and Klopp went back in the into the interview afterwards and said what do you, what do you expect when you play the world's best right back in centre mid giving him a bit, a bit of a dig but then he finished the second half of the season at Liverpool centre mid and he was probably one of the best centre mids in the league so yeah I'm, I'm still waiting for that apology I don't quite think it's going to come myself but. Yeah, it, that midfield trio of um, Rice just sat potentially behind Trent and um, Bellingham. It's it's just absolutely mouth watering. Whether or not he's got the absolute, you know, whether he's got the balls to play that because it, it was quite an open, quite an open formation. Because Trent, as we know, is not the best defender. But yeah, I, I'm not. I'm refusing to get my hopes up because we do this every single year, and Kemp will definitely come in and and level us off as as we as, we always, as he always does. So yeah. The expectations are... We, well, I, I, I still expect us to, to compete because we should with that squad, no matter who's the manager, but whether or not he's the man that can get us that piece of hardware is um, is
1: another thing. Yeah, definitely. And you, you're right. that There were times in the World Cup where you know playing Jude and then playing them in an advanced position, there were games like the Wales game, the Senegal game, I suppose, especially where they wanted to look like they played forward. They, they were being less patient. They were being more free. And I think... Jude, uh, Jude, sorry, uh, Trent playing in that role opens that up with his range of pass. And as you mentioned there, like his ball, for everyone's talking about that Saka screamer, mm. that the ball from Trent was was out of this world and I think was right up there in terms of quality of pass alongside the quality of the finish from Saka as well. So it does open things up like that, especially with pace who players like a Saka who wants to get in behind and knows what Trent can do. Players like Rashford as well, his strengths at Man United have always been playing off the last man's shoulder with, you know, 30, 40 yards behind him to goal. So that should definitely play into the hands if Trent keeps up that form and, and Gareth, like you say, sticks with that risk going into a major tournament against some tougher teams. But, Aggie, what are your thoughts on the game, mate? Is it a case of it's definitely coming home now after an aggregate score? <laughs> I if you've got any reservations based on what you've seen uh, in the latest two games.
3: Based upon the latest two games, I think we played quite well, but you've got to think of like the opposition that we've gone up against. Malta and North Macedonia aren't really two sides that are going to be a threat to us at any point, anyway. So I usually do stand very firmly on the uh, the hype train and say, yeah, it's coming home. But you know, over the last couple of years, it's the hope that's killed me off, and I really feel that. With Gareth Southgate in charge, we are not maximising the potential this squad's got, and I think we do need to look elsewhere to try and push ourselves over the line, win a World Cup or win a Euros. We have a squad here that's capable of winning a major tournament, and we're just not utilising it, and I dare say that, that now has to go on to the manager.
2: I will, yeah, I will say, the... I will I will say just while you're on that subject in North Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Um in North Macedonia in the past have caused us problems. We've drew nil-nil with them at Old Trafford. they drew 2-2 with us at Old Trafford, and that was in the prime Skull's era. Can you remember when Skull ducked on caught on foot corner yeah, yeah. and it went straight in? They've caused us problems the in the country. past. Yeah. So it, so, you know, I think we've drawn Drawn twice against them, I think we've probably won three times against them. So it, you know, it's it's not the sort of team that in the past we've blown o- blown over, and people are going to say, yeah, it's only North Macedonia, but it's in the past they've caused us problems. So the fact that we absolutely demolished them in the way we did is is definitely positive. Mm. That was their biggest ever defeat at six nil, I think it was, and then we went and obviously put a seventh past them. So yeah, that's on record as their biggest ever international defeat. So we'll take that. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I think the old, I think the Old Trafford game was was a much better game than the the. Multi- game, I thought the Moles game was really boring to be honest but yeah, it we played well in that second game
1: Yeah, it is, it is that type of England qualifying game going away, it always seems to be kind of the same, doesn't it? it's comfortable like I say it's boring, half an hour in you can't like, you, you, you either turn it off or you, you're staring more at your phone than you are at the screen, it's that classic thing but I think being at Old Trafford was really good atmosphere was great, it was good to see an England international game back at Old Trafford but Kemp, I'm going to bring you in for this next point because it was a bit of a spirited debate in the chat Um, And, you know, you've been the biggest sort of anti-Southgate in terms of tactical choices and what he can do mid-game. And the discussion that we had, and it was kind of me um, and then Sam and and Mudge, of the France game, yes, on paper, the Kane thing was the biggest biggest reason why it didn't go to extra time or why we didn't get that chance of winning. But my point was the tactical decisions that uh, that Southgate made along the way that could or should have given us a better chance of not having to rely on Kane missing that penalty because players miss penalties, you know, at points. And very rarely does any player go through the whole career not missing a penalty. So, you know, things like the point I've always brought up, Rashford going to get six minutes when at that point in the tournament, he'd been our top scorer. A player like Jack Grealish where we would dominate in set pieces and he's the most fouled player in the world, it seems, coming on with about 20 seconds to go in the 98th minute. So things like that along the way where he's been scared to pull the trigger. Do you think with his decision to play Trent in that midfield role and and seemingly wanting his, his players to be more attacking, have more freedom, express themselves a little bit more, does just off of that small sample size suggest that he is learning from his mistakes and he may be more brave going into a major tournament or do you think it is a case of the playing easier team so he can afford to do that?
0: Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. This, the second bit that you said there, we're, we're playing against a team North Macedonia that Sam, you, okay, you make a point there of we've drawn with them in the past. That that I would put down to being a pitiful result then rather than an amazing result now. If that makes sense? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. 7-0 against North Macedonia is is... I would expect, I wouldn't expect seven 0 I don't think against anyone, even San Marino. I think that's really good going, and I think it shows that Trent in that midfield role has got a real creative spark about him. And that's been the most frustrating thing for me when people have been saying about Trent, he's not good enough, he needs dropping, and all that. You know, it's it's not it's not that. He just he can't defend. It's as simple as that. Put him in a different role, and and he, and he'd fly. And, and obviously he has. So yeah, for me, um, Southgate's got that freedom, and we see it in qualifying all the time. We we we're we absolutely pissed qualifying. We beat Italy, obviously we've smashed North Macedonia. Um we, we we've 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 come through qualifying with flying colours um in the past few tournaments. That's not the problem. You know, if 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 qualifying was the was the tournament, we'd be winning it, but it's not. Um and you're absolutely right, I think Dawson, in the um in the France point. I think Harry Kane's penalty is a very, very easy target for people to look at that one pivotal part of the game and say, well, if Harry Kane scores that penalty, then, you know, we we wouldn't have lost. Well, if I'm right in thinking, Harry Kane was scoring that penalty to take his level. Is that right?
2: That's right. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So bringing Rashford on with six minutes left and whatever he did, bringing Relish on with 40 seconds left or whatever, you know, it's still the poor tactical decisions and errors of judgment from Southgate that I've always seen. Never changes it. Hasn't got the capability to change it when he needs to change it. Um, And ultimately, when you come up, up against these top teams and these top managers... They can pivot. They can change the game. Mancini did it for Italy like that. Changed the game, completely took it away from us and we didn't, we didn't have a fucking clue. And that's the thing. When you're playing against plumbers and electricians from North Macedonia and wherever, San Marino and all these bollocks, all these teams that were playing in qualifying, that's great because they've not got the capability or the players to change anything or affect the game in any way. For me, it's it's going to happen the exact same as it always does. We'll we we'll walk through qualifying. We'll pick up maximum points through qualifying. Is eighteen points or whatever it is? I don't know. Six games, whatever it might be. Eight games. However many games there are, we'll Eight pick games. up maxi- Yeah, we'll pick up maximum points. Um, and then when we get to the tournament, we'll draw a decent side in the uh, in the quarterfinal or the last sixteen, and we'll be out like a light. I, I couldn't agree more with what Adam said, and I'm fine. Glad that he's finally come onto the onto the the right path. I've guided him into the right path eventually. Um, this team now is really coming into its peak. We've got um, Rice, who I think is coming into his athletic peak. We've got Saka. We've got Trent. We've got Rashford. All these players around sort of mid-20s, they're all coming into their athletic peak now. This is when we need to make the change. Southgate's going to have this tournament. We know that. They're not going to sack him for tournament unless something crazy happens. Um, but for me... It's Going to happen the exact same way. I've got absolutely no expectations of winning the tournament, and now we really need to be start thinking who are we going to target as
1: our manager for when Gareth Southgate inevitably goes. If he does, but um, yeah, that's fair, that's that's it now for close to three months. The next games, um, Euro qualifier at the start of September away in Ukraine, you know, naturally that'll be a neutral venue, but that is what it's listed as followed uh, shortly after a friendly against Scotland and then two games in October and two games in November. So six games between now and the end of the year for England. Two of those are friendlies uh, and we haven't got another one for about two and a half months. So I suppose it will be a case of if come the end of the year when we're talking about it and they've faced Italy, uh, you know, they've gone away to North Macedonia, like Sam said, of course, problems before. If the performances are still positive and, and the wins are still there, maybe, just maybe, there'll be a bit of hope going into... Uh, 2024, as they prepare for the Euros, but time will tell. Um, on that one, uh, today has been the release of the EFL fixtures. Uh, Championship, League One, and League Two fixtures have been released for all teams taking part following the release of the Premier League fixtures last year. Um, and we will have the National League fixtures coming out next week. So, Aggie, get yourself ready for a good in depth discussion on that in episode 55. But, Sam, you're obviously the the only one of us that uh, have a sort of hat in the in the pot or a key in the pot or whatever you want. I don't know where I've pulled that from. Um, supporting <laughs> Derby in League One, they are currently uh, down with the bookies as the favourites to win League One. Looking at the fixtures, it's so hard to tell. There's going to be so many things that happen between now and then. But you know, opening day, how does it look? Closing day, potentially sealing the title, sealing promotion, or getting that last playoff spot. You know, what are your sort of initial thoughts based on that fixture release?
2: Yeah, so to be honest with you, the the actual opening of the opening of the season. I mean, this is all touch and, You know, theoretical speaking, the opening and closing of the season for Derby, I think, is is quite kind. So, for example, the first four games with uh, at home, three out of four in, in you know the start of the season. It's Wigan at home, Oxford at home, Fleetwood at home, and Burton away. So that's the start of the season. So you know, hit the ground running, get a bit of momentum early, and to finish the season, we are it, last. Five games. It's three away and two at home. But you think two games at home is Carlisle United and Leighton Orient. Two games, you, you know, you, Derby's pedigree expected to point them away at home, and then away is uh, Cambridge United, Wickham Wanderers, and Portsmouth. So you know that's the, that's the final five games for Derby. And to be honest, I think they're they're quite quite kind um, as far as fit, uh, the fixture schedule goes. So yeah, quite happy with the draw. I think we got uh, also got Blackpool in the first round at Carabao Cup as well. So. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I actually, went to see um, went to see Derby v Blackpool in Carabao Cup once at uh, at Pride Park. We lost on penalties. Um, Darren Moore missed the deciding penalty, skied it. Funnily enough, and now we're uh, speaking. we got covering Darren Moore a bit later, but um, yeah, yeah, it's a quite a kind fixture list. I think um, I'm, I don't like us being favourites. Um, I still think we need an, a, another out-and-out striker, certainly to to at least replace uh, Didsey McGoldrick. Huge loss gone to Notts County. Can't blame him. Boiled club. You know, it's what he's always wanted. So, yeah, fair play to him, but it's left us with a massive hole now that we need to fill. We've made a couple of put a couple of signings here and there. Um, solid signings as well, by the looks of things. A couple of um, League One winners in there. One, one of them played for Hull as well, I think, last season. So, yeah, it, we're just crying out for a striker. But... Um, but Warren, knows it. I watched an interview with him um, yesterday and he's well aware that they obviously need a striker. So it's something they're still in the market for and I'm sure they'll cover that at some point.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'll, uh, I'll we'll move on to the next bit with something that you, you mentioned there. You mentioned Darren Moore. And yeah, it was three days ago, and, uh, Monday I believe, where in the same day it was announced that Gary O'Neill... Um, was leaving Bournemouth and, and very quickly replaced. And, and Darren Moore, probably even more shockingly, was, uh, sure. was leaving Sheffield Wednesday by uh, mutual consent. There have been a couple of rumours as to who will be replacing him. Steven Gerrard seems to be the, the leading name in that. But, Ken, I'll come to you. You know, you had a lot to say about Sheffield Wednesday naturally being a Blaze fan. But, you know, as much as you, you don't want them to do well to an extent, uh, quite a shocking and, and out of nowhere... Um, announcement I think
0: Yeah one I'm delighted with on two fronts first of all I really like Darren Moore uh, probably the, the the Sheffield Wednesday manager that I like the most out of any Sheffield Wednesday manager ever um, comes across really really well in his interviews and in his press um, I, I saw a few um, clips of him at Hillsborough when they obviously do the high house overlining at the start, and he was, you know, they were really pushing for promotion at that point, and he was clapping away, getting all the fans riled up, and yeah, it was. Um, I think it might be the playoffs actually, but it was it was really really good to see, and it's it's quite clear that he had a passion for the club um, and really wanted to do well. I know Dawson; I think you might have met him very very briefly a few years ago when he was at Doncaster Rovers.
1: That's that's right. I was going to say that that yeah, I met him uh, pre-season doing you no know, team photos with sponsors and stuff like that. It was a twenty-second conversation, but seemed really genuine, really sound. Yeah. So I, 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 I yeah. believe everything you've just said there.
0: Yeah, yeah, really, really nice welcome. Obviously I listened to BBC Radio Sheffield quite a lot, obviously local radio station, Sheffield United coverage, etc. Um and obviously we have been Sheffield Wednesday manager or previous Sheffield Wednesday manager was on there quite a lot doing interviews and, and again it came across really well. Um uh, that's one reason why I'm delighted because now I can like him even more because he's not a Sheffield Wednesday manager so fingers crossed he gets a, a good job and and that can support, well not support but back whoever the team is that that, that he manages and and twofold is that I think he's a really good manager and um Obviously, they got ninety odd points, whatever it was, turned over that four nil deficit in the first leg of the of the playoffs and managed to win the playoffs, albeit quite luckily. But hey ho, that they won the playoffs, and I think he did a really good job at Wednesday in difficult circumstances because there were a lot of financial uh, questions over them. I think they they were very very close to being in breach of financial fair play at one point and I think a transfer embargo uh, at some point as well during his tenure. So, uh, any Wednesday fans in any communities or the Discord that that would like to correct me on that one, then please do so. But I think they're really going to struggle now. Um, I I thought with more in charge and some smart recruitment, I think they might have finished potentially mid-table and then to kick on next season and and hopefully push themselves up to the top of the Championship and hopefully back to the Premier League where they think they belong. Um, But now, if they're going to get Steven Gerrard in, no way, no. No way, no for me. Um, did an OK job at Rangers. I've done better on Football Manager, but I won't go there. Um, and then at Villa, absolutely capitulated. And I just think with Wednesday, how they are at the moment, they've got 14 players registered. Um, they're about to lose their best player, Dele Um They've got no coaching staff. They've got no head of recruitment. And what, we're a month and a bit away from the start of the season? So, if Steven Gerrard's coming in, I feel sorry for the bloke, and uh, and I really don't think he'll do well. Um, and fingers crossed, it takes him back down to League One. So, good decision, Mister Chancery. You've uh, you've got my you've got my vote on that one. But unfortunately for all the Wednesday fans out there, I think it's uh, really really terrible news.
1: I'm sure a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans would agree with that because it was pretty much out of nowhere. Um, Sam we to come to what's you what's interesting though. as well sorry just before you carry oh, on no at that's, that's fine about me I'm trying to buy time so please no no it. it's
0: alright no it's it's just the, the reason that I wanted to jump in there was just kind of to mention the fact that you mentioned there Gary O'Neill getting released from Bournemouth then they brought in a manager. I think it was the day later, so it's obvious that they've been having conversations behind closed doors. It, it wasn't even a late day late.
1: later; it, it was announced in the morning that yeah. Gary and Neil had left, and then sort of and then late, late afternoon they stayed announced. Yeah. It, so it was literally the same see, day. That's
0: the thing with Darren Moore is that they've not had, they've not got somebody lined up. So for me, he's either well, for me, I, I genuinely think they've had a conversation, and he said to to Siri, the, the chairman of Sheffield Wednesday, we need. X amount of money for X amount of players and we need to do this and we need to do that and Chan series turned around and and probably said no I'm not giving you that and I, I think that's what's happened because if the remit to get them out of League One if that's what the remit was at the start of the season for Darren Moore which you would imagine that that's what it was um, for a club like Sheffield Wednesday with the players and the wage bill that they got um, he's done it don't matter whether you finish top of the league, top of the tree by 120 points, or you you sneak it up playoffs in the last day. It's irrelevant, you know that that League One trophy is is not that prestigious, is it? It's all about getting up to the championship. It's like us Burnley and Luton. Burnley and Luton have got the exact same thing in the end. They're in the Premier League. Don't matter how they got there. You know, Burnley were way more impressive over the season. It do matter how they got there. So, very, very strange decision. And, and, and like I say, I think it, it will probably have been a fallout between the two parties. Um, and there is an interview, I believe, um, out on Talk Sport this evening, uh, as we record on Wednesday, um, a Darren Moore interview where he'll uh, spill the beans, as it were. You are sorry? Wednesday? I can't hear you. Wednesday? Thursday, Jesus. Thursday, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I don't, um, I don't know.
2: I don't, I don't know if you can remember. Um, it was about six months ago, whilst well, season one. This is to you, Kim. Um, when we was actually discussing Chef Wednesday, and I think it might have been just after Christmas, um, and you said the fans wanted him out, if you remember, and then I I got the results up and I said, why did they want him out? It is. One, he's, lost one, one, he's lost once in last 10 games or something. So, for me, it's always been a bit of a weird relationship between Darren Moore and, and, the, and the Wednesday fans. It's like there's never quite been that, that clear. As you say, in the playoffs, it was different. And I think it was the 4-0, going yeah. into the 4-0 game, second leg, it were, you know, I.O. Line, you're getting fans going, and they might have, you know, they might have finally connected, but... Even when they were doing so well, just after Christmas, there was always that theme that the fans weren't quite happy. with I mean it, it never quite, it never quite sat right on me. Why? Well,
0: that's why it makes it so much stranger for me because, like you say, you are absolutely right. Earlier on in the season, that the, the fans were coming on. I've mentioned it before, BBC Radio Sheffield, when they were at top of the or second in the league, mm. and, and they wanted Darren Moore they, gone. They, they were, you know, it's 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 a point of fact. Um, I, I didn't understand it. I was hoping they would get rid of him because, like I say, I like him. Mm. Um, but I think towards the back end of the season, I think that relationship, like you say there, was, was rebuilt very much. And I think it did get to the point where they were um, on, on very, very good terms. And obviously with the turnover in the playoffs and, and the playoff win, um, I think I think that relationship was mended and actually was stronger than ever. So that's why it makes it even stranger for me. That at the end of the season, when they finally sort of all cohesive unit got together and everybody's, you know, happy they've got promoted, then they get rid of him. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. You make a point there in that you never really understood what the relationship was, but you've actually made that point even stronger as to why.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: Um, Sam, I'm going to come to you for this one. I didn't send this across to you because I wanted to probably the wrong idea to not give you the opportunity to think about oh, it. Nice but, one, mate. Um, before Aggie, before I come to you to kick off the uh, the transfer news, so something that I noticed both with with Bournemouth that we've just been discussing there, and also Spurs. So Bournemouth brought in uh, apologies for the potential terrible pronunciation, but Andoni Ereola, I believe, is a previous Real Sociedad manager. And Spurs, as you lads have discussed recently, bringing in uh, Angie Pasta Poster, Postercoglu, Poster yeah. Now, with those two deals, they were, they've been given a two-year deal. Okay, now we know how quickly managers can be chucked to the side and everything else like that, but... Do you think as a a manager, and it might just be a quick, no, I, I disagree, but do you think as a manager, you might feel like the board or the club isn't buying into you or what you can bring to the table by only offering you two years? Because we always say the first year is, you know, you get your summer transfer window, You hopefully, depending on when you come in, you bring in the kind of players that fit in with what you want to do, you know, the season and training and everything else like that is about getting used to your system. But then you've only got one year to then, do what you need to do, knowing that your contract is running out. Just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on, on ways that you stand with that. Of A manager's given two years. Is that not an initial sort of feeling of a lack of confidence in what you could bring to the table or what you can offer?
2: Yeah, I know what he's saying. Um, I think it's a safeguarding feature, isn't it? I think there's, um, it's it's a safe bet. Uh, once bitten, twice shy. You know, look at Mourinho with Tottenham; he absolutely rinsed him when they sacked him. So I don't. I, th- I think it's just Daniel Levin not falling for that same thing twice. You know, we all know how frugally is. Look at the Eric Kane deal currently now, trying to go through. It's not happening because of him. So I think two year it sounds about right, and it's not. It's not. I don't f- see it as a two year deadline myself. I'd, I'd see it obviously because it's always going to be up, up, updated and you know renewed if yeah. it does well. There is so. an option
1: for a third year for for yeah. Bournemouth and 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 Postacoglu as well. We'll point that out, but
2: yeah,
1: just when I saw it, I just thought I don't know if that sits right with me. You know, we talk about projects and we talk about. You know, I just feel like if you know you're on a two year deal, yes, the option's there, but. I don't know. I feel like if I was like in that in that position, I feel like the club's not trusting me from the start. So, yeah. I get like, you know, if you do get sacked a year in, if you're on a five year deal, it's a massive payout. I do. I understand exactly. That.
2: It, that's all. That's for me. All it boils down to, it's just they don't want to do it. I mean, we all we all laughed at um, Newcastle when Mike Ashley signed uh, Alan Partridge to a seven year contract. So it's it's literally the opposite end of the scale to that. Um, it's. I, I don't see it as a big deal myself. I, I think it's. It's a two year. If you say I didn't know the the extent of the addition of, of a third year. So now I think if, if you like you say you get the first season to kind of bed bed yourself in, getting the players you want, get your system in place. It, I think if you're starting to see results in the second year I think that's when the chairman will look right we're going to activate your third year we'll probably look to discuss discussion putting an extension in so I think it's a safe bet it's a club friendly contract um, it, it's something that just suits Daniel Levy down to the ground it's yeah it, it's all down from that Jose Mourinho contract I think
1: yeah that's fair that's fair Aggie have you got any uh, anything different to say to that or, or do you agree with Sam's points there
3: I kind of agree. I just think it's a standard two-year contract. a standard thing for managers at the moment because the turnover is so high. No managers, like you said, you get a year to do your own transfers, but most managers don't even make it through a year do they, with the club until for whatever reason they're going. Well, Chelsea in general, isn't it? I mean, didn't Tuchel go pretty soon and then Potter and then Lampard and they're on like four managers in a 12-month period. So, prime example is Chelsea, yeah.
1: That's fair. I'm going to stick with you, Aggie. We're going to get stuck into some transfer news now, but I think before we start at the top and we talk about Saudi Arabia being linked with every single player over 30 and we talk about Man City potentially hoarding players and Arsenal looking to really push on to be a league contender this year and everything else, it's only right that we start with a team that, again, we've got a bit of passion for and that is Chesterfield. So, Adam, after weeks of talking about in the chats about play you know, Town were signing, signing these players and these players have been seen at the ground and these players were seen doing the local shop at the big Tesco next to the ground and all this kind of stuff. In the past 24 hours, Chesterfield has finally announced two major signings to go along uh, with the earlier signing of uh, Bailey from Alfreton Town. So Tom Naylor from Wigan, uh, uh, mainly a midfielder, but does have the uh, the ability to play at centre back as well. And also Will Grigg, who was a bit of a cult hero a few years back and, you know, can play right up top, knows where the net is. The, the exact kind of player that I think Chesterfield were missing last year to sort of tip them over the edge or, or put them right, right up there with the Wrexham and Notts County. So as a Chesterfield fan, based on those two signings, you know, how does that make you feel as a, as a fan of town?
3: I think we were favourites to go up before, but now it's a case of, you know, you're throwing money, you're throwing everything you've got at it. This is our one chance to go up. I think if we don't go up this season, there's going to be a little bit of repercussion. We're going to have to let a few players go. We're going to probably struggle in the National League for a little bit longer. It's kind of like you throw all your eggs into one basket, isn't it? And I know we've still got a couple more players that we could potentially be signing. Um, But, mate, you've got to stop that while I'm talking. You know what I'm like. We've been distracted. Um, But, no, Will Grigg, I think... It's a difficult one with Will Grigg because he's obviously a known goal scorer at higher levels. He's played on the international stage. Of course, there's the song about him. But last season, I think he scored nine goals in 31 games, I think it was, in League Two. And I know he's going to move down to the National League and it could easily be another case of um, Paul Mullen. We know obviously what he did last season. Hopefully that is going to be the case and he's going to break a couple of records or, or finish top goal scorer at the very least. But I think it's yeah. a case of he needs to get that confidence back. He is a proven goal scorer, and I think under Poor Cook he could do that. I remember uh, the only game I've really seen him him scoring live was when he scored the only goal in a one 0 win over a Pep Guardiola Man City side. In yeah, the FA that was
1: a, that was what I was going to mention there because you're right, and as I mentioned, he's he's a bit of a cult hero. While while he was at Wigan, he scored 53 goals in 133 games, so yeah. you know, a relatively respectable sort of ratio. Since then not really been sort of done too much in the last three or four years Sunderland five goals in 47 games Milton Keynes on loan eight goals in 20 Rotherham on loan two goals in 19 and then like you say there uh, with Milton Keynes it was five goals in 42 so you know, you're certainly not getting the the same player that was that cult hero. Will Griggs on fire, scoring at international level for Northern Ireland, scoring as you mentioned there. I was up in Glasgow at the time for work and remember seeing that goal against Man City to you know a, a big cup set, and not the first time we're going to beat Man City in the uh, in the FA Cup. But yeah, you're getting a player that is dropping down a couple of levels, but players like that who know where the net is, certainly you would assume that you're going to get a better. Game, goals to game ratio over, over this next season, based on the level that he's now at. But it it's pretty much assumed that Andrew Dallas, as well, I know he was the player that we mentioned. If there was one player town could sign, it would be him. It is pretty much official, but unofficial, that, that he is, is signed and ready to go. It's just a case of when it will be announced, uh, given the number nine shirt as well. So, um, and then Simon Kemp, just to sort of give you a bit of context, Chesterfield, when the odds were finally released for the National League, Chesterfield were five to one favourites. In the last 24 hours since announcing Naylor and Grigg as their first two signings, they've gone down to seven to two. So I, I think that shows what a real statement of intent uh, that those signings are alongside the the assumed Dallas signing and potentially more along the line as well. I think, Adam, you mentioned there, uh, obviously they need a goalkeeper. covlin um, has gone back to Port Vale and, and Fitzsimons Fitz has gone to uh, Scunthorpe. So uh, I believe you mentioned they they had a keeper from Everton coming in. Maybe the uh, the relationship with Sean Darsh has helped you out with that one.
3: Yeah, we've had players on loan from um, from Burnley before. We had Jordan Cropper a couple of years ago when he had Sean Dyche's manager there. So he's still got a bit of love for the club. So whenever he's a manager at a high level, he'll try and help us out. And um, there's a goalkeeper who played in goal for Chester last year. I've heard plenty of rumours that he's going to be signing for us on loan for the season. Um, Harry Trier, I think his name is. Um, played every game for them in the uh, the National League North last season and got a bit of experience. I wouldn't like to see him as the first-choice goalkeeper unless he's really been exceptional for uh, for Chester, but we need a goalkeeper. And if we could sign another one on a permanent basis, that would put us in a very good position. Uh, the signing for me is Tom Naylor. He played um, 36 games in the Championship last season. And he's moved down to the National League. It's really confused me as to why he's chosen to make that move. His comments are literally that he wanted to play on the poor cook, and I thought that's yeah crazy to drop. He'd
1: made it clear about a previous relationship with him, hadn't he? So, yeah, that's we spoke about a few weeks ago about using resources and relationships, and it's definitely played in your favour there.
3: Yeah, 100%. So I'm looking forward to see what Naylor can bring. I'd like to see how Bailey Hobson's going to ease himself into this team. And of course, Will Grigg, I think you need that sort of goal score. It's going to get you 20 plus goals in this division. And he's going to come up against defences that are just going to leak goals. In, and that's where you're really going to see him improve his money's worth, if you will.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um as a town fan, just in a in a couple of words, the signings make you excited, are you buzzing? Are you like this is the season? Hyped, yeah. Or are they like right they they're taking the they taking the right steps?
3: Yeah, hyped. Last season I was a bit off it because of Wrexham and Notts County, but this season I'm I'm all in on it. Yeah, that's
1: absolutely fair. Um Sam, I'm gonna to come to you. I'm gonna save one specific transfer for Kemp um for reasons that will become clear. Uh, when the time comes, but I want to come to you, Sam, for a bit of a discussion on, on Saudi Arabia activity. Uh, you know they've signed a Kante, Benzema, uh, a couple of other players as well that are due to go and are very heavily rumored to go, especially a lot of Chelsea-based players as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll not at this time get into you know the rumors and things like that because it's a bit of a, a murky water, I think. But Jamie Carragher, I don't know if you saw, I think it was on Twitter, he basically said, yeah, never was for him.
2: before him as well.
1: OK, so basically calling out to, you know, the, the football governing bodies to say, you know, this needs to be looked at and regulated. and But a lot of people have then come out and said, well, what about Madrid in their pro say in the prime, but, you know, the Galacticos era of getting the biggest players? What about the Premier League spending huge amounts of money? Do you think that the call, the the cause for concern, is because it's a different part of the world, one that historically hasn't been sort of a major footballing nation, or do you think those opinions and concerns are, are rightly justified?
2: Uh, it's a difficult one. It, I personally don't particularly mind the uh, the activity of the Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it, it's they're dodgy, aren't they? We know that. We, they, you know, it's a lot of blood money, oil money, and all that. But I, I don't particularly mind it. I must, I must admit, it's not not don't mind the blood, but it's. Uh, it's more, obviously, the players going of, you know, it's going to be another league that's going to be popping up, going to be more popular. Ronaldo seems to have spearheaded some kind of move there. Um, but no, I, I, don't, um, I don't mind it myself. Yeah, Gary Neville come out first and, and said it, and then 24-hour later his mate, Jamie would come out and put in the exact same sentiment. So, um, I think it's just uh, them pandering a bit. They didn't seem to mind going over to that part of the world in the World Cup and taking their money and presenting and shit like that, so... Yeah, for me, it's a bit hypocritical. Um, Just go and earn your money however you can. If it's there, take it. I, I can't fault these players myself. Just a pick or something before you come back.
1: No, I was gonna no, ask for you because oh, there was perfect. something you'd me, you'd mentioned as well, mate. So please uh, give your thoughts on it.
0: Well you tell me what I mentioned first because I might f- fuck off onto a different uh, path.
1: Well, I I <laughs> can't remember exactly what. I was literally gonna grab my phone and try and find <laughs> what it was, but you, you you had said something and I can't I was hoping you were gonna sort of bring that back up again for a proper discussion. So Uh, Either you'll start and I'll go, yeah, that was it. Or Maybe, maybe, maybe. You go with a point you want to go with, mate. Maybe, no, that's fair Fair, fair
0: enough. Um, I think for me, hypocrisy is the word that Sam used really, really well there. Um, I think if it was Manchester United or Liverpool making these types of transfers and these types of moves, I'm not quite sure they'd be as up in arms about it as they they are. Um, I watched the Champions League final with an Arsenal fan and a Liverpool fan. And when Liverpool in Champions Leagues, um, you know, uh, no problem with spending all the money in the world and, and however much they spent on players like um Van Dyke and Allison and, and that's no problem, but you know, as soon as City do it, then uh, it's tarred and it's tarnished. And I understand that the 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 um the, the the charges levied against City are obviously um a big factor in that and obviously we'll see what happens with that, but ultimately. This has always happened in one way or another. You mentioned there the Galacticos, Dawson. The reason that that, that Real Madrid were able to utilise those players and spend as much on players as they did, is because when they brought the Galacticos in, they would get the sponsors. They would get half of the sponsorship money that the Galacticos would earn from companies like Nike and Adidas and stuff like that. That's how Real Madrid. Were able to sign these players and and able to bring them on board because they worked their way around the the, the financial rules that were in place at that time. And don't they were pro- funded by the government. They and they were funded by the government. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. The, the Real Madrid, Same thing. Are, Same Real thing. Madrid, Real Madrid are the government's team. They are yeah. the Spanish government's team, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, so it's one of them where I think it's all fair game in football because that's the way it's, that's the way football has gone that it's sold to the highest bidder and, and that's it. And football has been all about money for years and years and years. And, and, and the jumping off point you could probably say was 30 years ago with the invention of the premier league. Um, and ultimately ever since then, it's been a race to the bottom for me. The way they need to stop this is is by introducing salary caps across the board. FIFA need to intervene and they need to say, right, all these governing bodies, you know, we're taking control of of Saudi Arabia's footballing governing body, UEFA, CONCAF, all these governing bodies that FIFA are meant to be in control of and say, right, you've all got X, Y, Z salary cap and that's what we need to do. Because then the market comes gradually down or plateaus for every single player at every single club. So, you can't just say, oh, well, this, this, this club have put a salary cap on there, so I'm going to go to Man City or I'm going to go to Arsenal or wherever and I'm going to earn more money. If there's a salary cap for everybody, that's the way that you deal with it. Is that realistic? Probably not. And the other question that you've got to ask yourself is, are Saudi Arabia long-term players in this? Because we've mentioned it before, Saudi Arabia are obviously make all their money by oil. Uh, they, they extract oil and obviously they sell it across the world and that's how they make so much money. But, the oil reserves one day are going to run dry. And ultimately, we are going to get to a point where we're looking for renewable energy rather than oil energy. And I don't want to get away from sport too much, but that's a bit of background as to why Saudi Arabia are making these moves, because they're trying to generate as much revenue as they possibly can before all that money fucks off. So I understand why they're doing it. But are they a flash in the pan in that respect? And are they a flash in the pan like China? You've got, what was his name? The Chelsea lad, Oscar, was it? Who went to, Ch- yeah. who went to China in his prime. I think yeah. Hulk went to Russia at Russia, one point Russia well. was same. Russia was same. He,
1: went, he, went, he, went, he went to China when he still had a bit. They seemed to yeah. start getting the ball rolling and then didn't really go anywhere.
0: And exactly that. So are we going to see that from Saudi Arabia? Are we going to see this, Right, everybody get all these players in and then if they don't win the bid for the 2030 World Cup, oh, we're not bothered about football anymore. We're just going to throw that toy away. So to be seen and to be confirmed with Saudi Arabia, for me, I'm not massively concerned because they're not they're not signing Mbappe or Haaland. They're not signing these players that are in their prime, in their peak. Um, oh, I don't and know. I don't know. Them. Well they're not though, are they? I have not, not seen it. I've not seen yeah, any yeah, confirmed so, so signings.
2: No, no confirmed, but the, the recent heavily linked one is um Bernardo Silva, who's in absolute yeah. peak of his power, one of the best midfielders in the world right now. And uh, yeah, and bernardo you know what? Silva if
0: that happens and do you know what yeah. if that happens, I'll probably change my mind. He's 28 years old, you're absolutely right. He's at his peak, he's in his prime. So, you know what, if that happens, I'll probably think, "Mm, I'm a little bit more concerned about this than I was before. But at this moment in time, while we sit here on the 22nd of June 2023, it's been Ronaldo, it's been Kante, it's been, you know, these players that are coming really towards the end of their career. Um, And that doesn't concern me too much. You know, go and get your money, lads. But if we do start seeing the Saudi Arabians taking away all the best players in the Premier League, that is going to diminish our quality. But it also means that Sheffield United might stay up. (laughs) <laughs> I will give a shout out to
2: Human Son as well because um, it was heavily linked to um, to Saudi Arabia all, all this week. And it was yesterday it came out vocally and he said he has got absolutely no interest in joining but, that league. Um, his 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 futures with Tottenham is is it's the his his best league in the world in the Premier League, so he's not going for money. Money doesn't motivate him. Obviously, he's already on a, a decent whack himself, but.
0: Yeah, he he's said he's more than happy to stay in the Premier League. So yeah, as long as team that team. continues, that trend. As long as that trend continues, where you've got people at the peak and they're not saying, "No, right, no, we're not Saudi yet." I'll, I'll I'll achieve stuff and then I'll go there at the end of my career and, and and you know get a bag if I need it or whatever it might be. So yeah, if that trend continues, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with what Saudi Arabia are doing at the moment. Uh, obviously, in footballing terms, nothing else. Um, and uh, and I think Aggie. like say there, Sam Gary Neville and uh, Jamie Carragher once again. Unlike them too, being a little bit hypocritical.
1: So and Kemp, I'm going to stick with you for the uh, this next one, and it is uh, the the room. Well, it now confirmed, I suppose, signing of Kai Havertz to Arsenal. That you mentioned uh, last week the the clip that I made of you saying you're putting your mortgage on Arsenal getting top four, and then you made the comment in our chats about. Um, you know, the fact that, oh shit, they're actually, uh, they're taking this seriously. That wasn't and spending for some That wasn't for No, habits. no, 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 no <laughs> it wasn't. But it, was, it, was de- it was the fact that they were looking to spend a lot of money on a few different players. But Declan Rice still heavily rumoured and there's been some, you know, rumours of City potentially coming in and I'll get on to City very shortly with you, Aggie. But um Kai Havertz, I believe it was 60 million plus 5 million in, in add-ons, I believe it is is the fee. He hasn't set the world on fire since joining Chelsea. They've played him as an out-and-out striker and he certainly hasn't returned the, the sort of again goals-to-games ratio that you would expect at that level. He has got a Champions League winning goal to his name. Is that the kind of signing that makes you, as someone that has doubted Arsenal more than anyone, of, right, OK, they, 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 they've, they've, they've got a foundation, they've got a young squad, these are those little pieces now that they need to get them over the edges. Kai Havertz, that guy... Or you know, what do you personally see him as as the kind of signing for Arsenal?
0: I guess signing Kai Havertz for sixty five million pound potentially reinforces my opinion that Arsenal won't finish second again next year. Um, Nineteen goals from ninety one appearances for Chelsea that is absolutely pitiful. And I understand that this season has been an absolute off season for Chelsea. I get that. None of their players have, 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 have surrounded the self seen glory. I get that also. But, you know, the seasons before that, when Thomas Tuchel was in his prime winning Champions League, etc., etc., they had an out-and-out striker to go to and whatever else it might be. Um, there's just no excuse for that that, that lack of return. Um, Kai Havertz for that amount of money, we've 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 criticised Chelsea over the past year or so and Todd Bowley playing real-life football manager and not doing it very well, spending money like it's going out of fashion and putting players on nine-year contracts. Um, but do you know what? This is unbelievable business for Chelsea. Getting rid of him for £65 million is mwah, chef's kiss for Chelsea. Well done. Uh, for Arsenal, it's an absolutely pitiful signing. I could probably think of Three or four midfielders that they could probably sign for a lot less than that who would do a lot better a job. Morgan Gibbs-White being one of them, personally, I think if they sign Morgan Gibbs-White for that sort of same role as that number 10, I think he'd be much better in that position than Kayaverse, and I think he'd probably be cheaper. So, yeah, um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's really, really bad business from them, um, and it just reinforces my uh, my opinion that, uh, that Arsenal aren't going to get anywhere near. The one that concerns me is Julie- Durian Timber. Uh, because he's a fantastic, fantastic player from what I've seen. So if they do get him, my opinion on Arsenal may slightly shift a little bit, but that business, £65 million for Kayaverse, I think that's probably the worst sign in the window so far. I know it's early days, but that's a bad one, that.
1: Well, uh, if and when they sign Rice and Timber, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to bring it up. They, are, to get not you up LA, they are not signing <laughs> Rice. Absolutely fucking not. You never know, but uh, Aggie, you were you were smirking a couple of times there, and, and in the chats, you seem to be a little bit more of a positive uh, opinion towards the sign of uh, Havertz to to Arsenal. Uh, and again, you were probably as much as Kemp was the biggest anti Arsenal. You were probably the biggest pro Arsenal. You know, do you think that is a, a positive step for them to uh, to bring in a, a player that again has scored a Champions League winning goal?
3: Um, I think that's all about his score though, isn't it? I think 65 is a bit too much. I think they could have probably got him for a bit cheaper and if they'd been a bit smarter about it, like Kemp's already said, they might have been able to get somebody else for a similar sort of price that had been a bit more effective. But I like it from a depth perspective. We said that Arsenal missed out last season because they didn't have enough depth and they've gone out there and and bought somebody that's going to add that to them. Again, Kemp, I can see you shaking your head. I think the money that 65 they've spent million
0: on it—no, no—I
3: I completely agree. I'm saying the money that they've spent, I think, is is too much. They've spent too much on him, and it's the similar sort of thing to what I said about. Thank Just a,
1: just a quick question for uh, just to to loop it into your answer to this. But we're talking about 65 million being a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Surely we're not far off that becoming the norm now for that level of player.
3: We sh- well, yeah, I can see the argument for that. I don't like that we could be coming towards that, but I think. For the little impact that Havertz has had since he's come to the Premier League, I still think 65. If Chelsea are asking for that amount, you've got to turn around and say no. You're going to look elsewhere. But I like the fact that they're looking towards depth. The thing that's really getting me is Arsenal just aren't a side that's known for spending money. They've just spent 65 million pound on Havertz. They're still looking at Timber. They're still looking at Declan Rice, and we know that both of those players are going to be quite expensive. So it looks like Arsenal are throwing everything at it for this season. Um, if I remember rightly, I think Kemp said to me last week that he felt that Chelsea were going to finish. A above Arsenal this upcoming season is that correct? I'm sure you did I
1: believe it did I, say I, I don't, that I thought I don't, he did I, I, no, he, I, he said he was expecting yeah. this team to do well this team yeah. to do well he can't see Arsenal mm. I, finishing top four I'm, I'm expecting my yeah
0: in. yeah, yeah. so I think my words potentially were and I'm happy to be corrected I see Chelsea more of a uh, a chance of, of reaching top four this season this next season than Arsenal and Arsenal right,
3: yeah, we'll will finish you said, above yeah. them as well I'll okay stick to that as well then okay that, that's better. but i know chelsea obviously are floating a lot of players i think arsenal if they make the right business they are still going to be contenders with city i think like like you've already said if timber does come in if they can if they can try and prize declan rice away from manchester city if that's even possible then that's going to be a huge step in the right direction for them. And with habits, I don't think they really need to look for too much afterwards. I think those three signings will put them in a very good position to be competitive with City next season. But it's a big ask because it's getting Timber to join Arsenal. It's getting Rice now that Man City have openly said that they're interested in signing him. Declan Rice, if you've got the choice between Arsenal and Man City, I'm pretty sure every one of us here would sit there and say, we're going to sign for Man City and we're going to play with Pep Guardiola.
1: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, time will tell uh, with with the Rice saga uh, there. Arsenal are really, really pushing him and, and City are apparently sniffing around the subject. But Sam, we're going to stick with City um, as we close off the, uh, the transfer rumours and signings. But uh, official business from Man City this week, uh, Ilki Gundogan, phenomenal. He, he's been pivotal in the last couple of seasons, scoring the double against Aston Villa a couple of years ago to Help them win the title on the last day, scoring in the FA Cup final, captain in the side as well. You know, in in major games in that and that travel run, as uh, moved to Barcelona, two-year deal, release clause of five hundred million, which I'm not I don't see yeah, the point crazy. of that. But um, and and they've pretty much instantly replaced him with uh, Matteo Kovacic from uh, from Chelsea. So, you know, what do you think that will mean, City? Do you think losing Gundawan and that kind of leader and, and that player that stepped up in big moments? Do you think that will be a big loss for City or are they? Are they just that much of an elite squad that they won't really notice it?
2: I think it'll be a big loss. Uh, like you say, he scored some absolutely pivotal goals, especially this season. You're looking at that FA Cup goal. What, what a goal, by the way. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think it's criminal that he's been uh, he's been let go for nothing. Uh, you, you'd have thought they'd have managed to get you know a, a, at least a one year contract out of him, so they could sell him on for even if it's twenty million or something like that. But to let him go for nothing, I thought was, they've, they've missed a trick there. Uh Kovacic, good replacement, very, very solid player. Uh, still pretty young, I think. Um, what was it, about 24, 25 ish. So yeah, he's um he's certainly on the up, but I think it's a big miss myself. And like I mentioned earlier, if if you know, hypothetically Bernardo Silva then leaves and you know this City team doesn't become this, quite the same team, and who knows, but yeah, it's um it's not bad business overall. I just I, I would have liked to have seen City get a pee for him.
0: Do you not know, think Pep Guardiola's earned the benefit of the doubt? I mean, a lot of people when Aguero left thought, "Oh God, Aguero's left. Where are all the goals going to come from now?" And they won the league. They league did, the they, they, after
1: they, it, they it did but he he still addressed the fact that they didn't have that. You know, De Bruyne was playing in a false nine a lot of that, that season.
0: Yeah, but we also had the João Cancelo thing, where he fell out with Pep, got rid of him halfway through the season. He was City's probably arguably best player not the season gone, but the season before, and they still managed to win two Premier League titles. In, in a row on the spin um, I, I I understand what you're saying Sam and I completely agree but for me if I'm a City fan I'm not too worried because I think Pep, is, Pep and the City team and, and, and the recruitment team at, at Man City are shrewd enough to see mm. that yeah Gundogan that's a massive massive miss but also you know he's not gone for a transfer fee which I think you know is they have missed a bit of a trick there but the wages that will have freed up you know there will be a lot of wages there that they can spend on somebody else um, and I think Pep if anybody in the Premier League's isn't the benefit of the doubt with that sort of thing, I think it's Pep Guardiola. So, I see where you're coming from, but I, if I'm a City fan, I don't think I'm too
1: concerned about it, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's, I
2: think that's a fair
1: comment. It is fair, and again, as always, time will tell. Um, but, that, I think that's pretty much enough. It's been a bit of a whirlwind week in the, in the transfer world, especially with Saudi Arabia, you know, sort of, Pushing the weight about, but again, this time next week, anything could have happened. Rice could have moved. Manchester United could have finally signed Mart or anyone. So, uh, we'll, episode fifty-five, I'm sure we'll bring plenty of discussion again. Before we close off the football section, and it has been pretty lengthy tonight. Uh, um, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's worth acknowledging the the fact that uh, in this last week, it was announced that Martin Tyler, the lead Sky yeah, Sports 100%. and Premier League commentator, um, is is to be leaving Sky Sports and probably the bigger news uh, from a, from a fan's perspective is to be replaced by Peter Drury, the, uh, the absolute epitome of a football commentator. I know Sam, we, to be fair, starting from that Porto game many, many years ago, probably oh. started the, uh, Tyler's Tantique. getting a bit, uh, probably started the bandwagon before anyone else, if I'm being yeah. honest, not to toot our own on, but you know, we've been on his case ever since that very moment, many, many, many years ago. But, Oh, that 08? Look, was that 08? Probably not far off. You probably was looking that the at the season.
2: Uh, the season they won the Champions League.
1: 08? It poss- yeah, possibly. I think it was in the knockouts, were not it? Um, but you, you know, jokes and negativity aside, and, and the fact that look, uh, you lads would have noticed Sky Sports put uh, Sky Sports put a got Sky Sports put, goal, Sky Sports put oh, God, that, that didn't sound right. That, that, that I feel like I got it right, but it didn't sound <laughs> right. Sky Sports would put a clip of a goal from Super Sunday on Twitter. And you know the comments would be Tyler's passed it. Why is it so boring? You know that would be the majority of the comments, and you know that's certainly been the case over the last couple of seasons. But Martin Tyler commentating Collingwood back in back in the night is that late winner against Newcastle. Of course, the Agüero, you know the I, I think know. that was
2: it. I think I think that was his final great act, wasn't it? The Agüero moment, and his, yeah. And it, to be fair, it, it's immortalized that moment. It's gone down in history, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, we we follow that guy on TikTok, don't we? Who who mouths, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. then he's like rolling his eyes when when, when, when Liverpool score. And, oh, sour! <laughs> <salad." laughs> <laughs>
1: And no, like said, the yeah, guy's nearly 18, on. and I think, I think you know, for as much as, A, a lot of people have said, look, you know, it's not ruining it, but we're noticing that it's bad. And as much as me and you have been on that bandwagon probably before 90% of people, you know, he has been at the forefront and the voice of a lot of incredible moments over the years. And that's and, and Peter Drury, look, I've not really watched Super Sunday much, other than if United are playing, I'm watching it. Other than that, I'm not. But knowing now Peter Drury is going to be a part What I think you said it, Sam. What a statement of intent in terms of you know Prime coming in and and really getting involved in the football scene. And a lot of people talking about binning it off and getting streaming services in so you can watch 3 pm kickoffs and and things like that. Like it's a massive upgrade and and it's got to get you excited as a a football fan into next year, knowing that Peter Drury is going to be the one not having to find American coverage and think we're not getting into ways you can do that. But you know, you can stick your telly on and and right at the click of a button. That, you know, probably the top commentator in the world is going to be commentating on the games that you're going to have access to the most. Absolutely, Adam. As the man that is the commentator, you know, you've always mentioned John Motson as your as your hero. Have you got any words on the fact that Martin Tyler, again, you know, is the voice of a generation, and he is nearly 80, so let's give him some credit. Have you got any words that you want to give him as he, uh as he steps aside and uh, enjoys retirement?
3: Not really to, to him directly, no. He's obviously been great for the seasons that he's done in, in the last generation. You're sorry? I thought
1: that's what listed. you were saying. I like, have no, got any, any it, message I want Discord? to say is to is him. Isn't like, Discord
3: ready? is Discord ready? No, but like, it's time to move on to the next generation, isn't it? Obviously, Motsen had is his prime, and then now Tyler's at his prime, and it's just time to move on to the next generation. And Jury, like you've already said, and you've both already pointed out on many of occasions, he is... The next generation, so it's a great signing for Sky Sports, and I dare say the signing of the season.
1: That's uh, I think you said that, Sam, didn't you? It was uh, it was a signing of the season, so it is. I think you not that off you, yeah. That's all right,
0: I can have that one. Oh, um, you know, Mr. Mister, Mr. Oh. Piggyback, Mr. Piggyback accusing
1: me. It was me that Piggyback. said it, but okay.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, Genev, co commentator, oh. oh,
1: yeah. Well. We'll, uh, we'll have to get on the Discord, but um, hey, we never know. Martin Tyler might have actually taken a big bag from Saudi Arabia to commentate on their league. Who knows? It? It'll all come out. I'm sure. If that's Definitely the not but... watching
0: the Saudi Pro League
1: now. Then no, absolutely God, can not. You can you imagine that? Can you
0: imagine them?
2: Tyler we Andy Gray and Richard Keyes again <laughs> 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 that's, a,
0: that's a
1: terrible trio isn't it that they're, is, they're, they're, they're not they the these days aren't they yeah, they are they over sports
0: there. all day every day um, just just to give an honourable mention and I completely agree with you what you've made the points that you've made about Martin Tyler and Peter Drury for me Drury best in the game right now uh, over anybody else um, I think it's quite comfortable to say um, I can see Sam wearing with Clyde Tilsley just racking around his head but uh, no Peter Drury he is the best in the game for me, and Martin Tyler over the past couple of seasons has potentially been one of the worst. Um, so I think it's a great switch bait and switch for for Sky Sports. Um, honorable mention, though. However, I think Martin Tyler's best call was uh, G to Sassineon to G's round the goalkeeper and he's done it. <laughs> that was unbelievable. No, yeah, sure that that's there. yeah, that's that is, there. That that's number one for me. That's yeah, number
1: one no, for me. That that was brilliant. Also. But, um, I, I just, I just, I don't want to speak for Sam. So Sam, once I've said this, please correct me if you if you don't agree. But Kevin, you you mentioned about uh, Clive there. I personally feel I was aggrieved by the fact that he had been replaced by Sam Matterface. But now I know he's getting some of that Amazon money. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with it because he's secured the bag and it's, uh, it's well deserved. So I'm at peace with what Clive's doing in his career now. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm all good with that one. But that's that's football. It's that's. I mean, we've, we've probably been talking for close to an hour, and it's just that's just a week's worth. So, uh, no no I'm idea what the.
2: Just a, just a peek behind the curtain, to quote, to quote him. <laughs> I, I feel like we yeah. say that more than him these days. I'm say <laughs> yeah, i said it in the last six months. Stop, stop, stop saying it's, that. It's right? one of them where you
1: start to say it ironically, and then you, you just yeah. say it. You get it's a pure Mandela thing, effect,
2: yeah. isn't it? He never said it, actually. Yeah. Just, yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 it was Adam. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, I've completely forgot uh, forgot what I was going to say now. Uh, what was I going to what, what did was you say? Be, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, I, I know what you're going to. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was going to say, with Pete behind the curtain. Is a couple of months back, we were all prepping in the chat uh, about what we're going to what we're going to do over the summer months. Are we going to have to play games, or we're going to what we're going to have to talk about? But as you say, we've uh, we've just lasted over an hour talking about transfers and just shooting the shit. So yeah, I think we're doing quite well on that
1: front. I will right once we well say that July it's it's really going to be rolling in August it'll be about time to do our predictions and stuff so I think we'll be fine but again time will tell um so yeah that's football and this time next week who knows what will have happened but Adam I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you mate um actually no I'm not Kemp I'm gonna come to you actually um I think uh, cricket now I know you did a very very brief mention slash preview of the upcoming Ashes uh, series, and uh, the first test is out the way. Day one started with a very attacking, very positive, very offensive England performance, putting up almost three uh, 400 runs at around five runs and over, which you don't often see in test cricket, really putting themselves in a position where you assume that England were going to take that first test and get the front foot on the Ashes series. And then day five came, looked like you're probably looking at a draw, The game didn't start until around two o'clock, three o'clock that afternoon because of the weather. England started out fantastically, got seven wickets, and it looked like, hang on a minute, it's England are going to go one nil up here, and then it just kind of stalled. And Australia, led by the captain, chipped away at the runs and and secured the win, and and they've gone one nil up, but. It was a brief mention and know you had spoken in the chat about not knowing too much about cricket, but felt like it needed mentioning. But Kent, you did watch a lot of that first test. So going from someone that might not have really had too much of an involvement in test cricket, especially. You mentioned about your love of T twenty and hundred, but you, you said about that, like, you know, test cricket you weren't really a fan of. So from your perspective of of having that introduction and, and seeing how it went on, what are your thoughts about how the first test went down?
0: Yeah, it was exciting. It was really good. It was probably the most entertaining Test Test cricket um, uh, get, sort of first game um, I've, uh, I've I, I think I've ever seen. Um, Basball is, is what they call English cricket these days. Um, the English team declaring after the first innings, after three hundred ninety three runs uh, to eight wickets. Um, after After that, Australia obviously came into bat. I think we were expecting to declare and, and, and take that momentum and get a couple of early wickets and really put them under the cosh. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, that, that is the way that we play football these days I get that I under, uh, cricket these days I get that uh, Sam's distracting me by sending me uh, showing uh, lewd pictures on the uh, on, on the, uh, the the screen so uh, apologies for that little uh, the Freudian slip there I've been talking about football for about three hours so I'm still stuck on it um, but yeah that, that's the way that England play cricket these days I get it um, but I think it was a bit of a mistake 393 runs against an Australia team that's capable of, of doing some damage um, I, I think we could have potentially sort of kept kept going until we were all out um for for you know topping that 400 run mark and giving australia a really big mountain to climb um, Australia then came in and scored 368, um, which sort of, like you say there, Dawson gave England a lead of seven runs going into the second innings, which is obviously a really, really close game. Uh, a lot of people thinking that England were a shoo-in after that first uh, first innings, and and that we were really going to really kick on and 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 get a fantastic set of uh, runs after our um, after our second test, but uh, second innings. But uh, unfortunately, that wasn't for wasn't to be. Uh, England out for 273 runs in the end, and Australia had a target of 281, and they got the victory. One um, nil lead in the, season, in the series, five matches, and uh, Sam's got exactly what he wanted there, and then Australia got exactly what they wanted uh, with a one nil one nil victory so far. Dawson, how did you sum up that first test and those first inns? I really really enjoyed it, and uh, and uh, I feel like you did as well. But a little bit disappointed uh, of the result, as we all are as England fans, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm I'm glad you said that, mate. Because one of the things you've always spoke about, I say always over sort of maybe the last couple of years, especially is you know you don't like Test cricket; it's not for you. You prefer the short the short format, and and I mentioned it, I think, at the start of um, of this uh, this Test of the fact that I've always preferred Test cricket. I you know the memories of that O five series is. Is incredible. I used to have the DVD. It was like a four DVD box set of basically the highlights of that 2005 Ashes series, which honestly was absolutely incredible. Catching highlights throughout the day at school, watching it when when they got home, and um, you know, and and it, the, the Test series, and it's the reason why they brought in one the 100. It's the reason why T20 has become you know a bigger part of the game is because they thought that Test cricket. Hasn't really got the longevity that it once had because of how long it lasts, but it, there's kind of a feeling to it that's so hard to explain. So it was good to see someone like yourself, that as, as mentioned before, not being a fan of Test cricket, you know, voice your opinion on preferring the shorter um, format of the game. To to have really enjoyed that, so yeah, it was really really good to see day five, that last couple of hours where it was top the England heavy favourites, and then slowly and slowly and slowly. Australia sort of chipped away and it got to the point with maybe about 15 overs left where, right, this isn't going to be a draw, which is great because you don't want to see that. Australia probably going to win, but if England get a wicket in the next, I don't know, 10, 12, 20 balls, there's a chance. So it's just that for me is that feeling of test cricket that anything can happen at any time. So that for me, it was just that little inkling of why I've always preferred Test cricket. So, Kem, I'll be honest, I'm really glad that you got a little sampling of, of that feeling. Hopefully, you know, Australia now 1-0 up, but hopefully over the next four tests, you'll, you'll be able to uh, to achieve that again at some point along the way. Because, yeah, for me, Test cricket is the pinnacle of, uh, of cricket because of what it can give you. But, uh, again, I'm going to come to you now, mate. Formula One, Canada Grand Prix. Tell you what, I'm a Red Bull fan and I should be buzzing, but from someone that, you know, would wants to watch entertaining races because what's the point? Otherwise, it's it's tough at the minute. And I feel bad because you you know, as as we're doing a podcast about sport, you want to be excited and you know, we got excited about the cricket, we've been really engaged about the football. But for me the one at the minute feels like it's kind of the sore thumb of of all the sports that we talk about.
3: Yeah, you've picked the most uh, boring bloke that this podcast has to offer to speak about the most boring sport that this podcast has to talk about. Yeah, Red Bull now, eight wins in eight. Another canter victory for... uh, for Max Verstappen, who just walks his way around the track. I think he got the uh, joke at one point that he'd nearly knocked himself out from driving over a kerb, that he was that far ahead from everybody else. Then you would got uh, Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton having a nice little battle for second place, but that's all it's been for the most of the season, hasn't it? Just two cars battling for second place. Nobody's really been able to compete up there with Max Verstappen, including his teammate Sergio Perez. He's got a nice 69-point lead now at the top. We've got two weeks until Austria. Oh, there we go. And the the best part of it is just looking forward to that battle between Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Mercedes have improved the car, but it's only enough now to compete with the Aston Martins. That's about as, as good as it's going to get. So you're right. It's difficult to be able to sit here and, and really sum up The entertainment aspect of it, when the majority of it is just pretty much deja vu, isn't it? Max Verstappen getting pole position, Max Verstappen winning the race, and it's something that we've seen over the last couple of years on a more than regular basis. Hopefully next season, Mercedes will be able to compete a little bit better. It looks like Lewis Hamilton is going to be sticking around for longer, and and Total Wolf's already said that he thinks they're going to have a very strong car for next season, but that's something that Mercedes have always kind of said to keep other teams kind of off their backs, isn't it?
2: Wolf off his gladiators, brother.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's the one.
2: Just, just, just on the back of <laughs> that, from someone who is a complete, as I say, nonce from last week, complete
1: novice. <laughs> 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 right, can I just, because I was a part of the episode, and i say, let me give you, I'm, I'm, I've been in London, right, for, for the Thursday, Friday, and I'm traveling back, and I thought, right, I'm going to have a listen. The, the episode's about one minute, uh, one minute, one hour 40, train was like one hour 56, so it's perfect, isn't it? Honestly, I'm sat there, I'm listening, I'm enjoying it, I'm I'm eating my pasta that I'd got from the from the station and sang some that's absolute nonce to this, honestly.
3: I fucking <laughs>
1: full on, full carriage, burst out fucking <laughs> pissing myself. And I had these headphones on as well. So bear in mind, I'm sat there imagine me sat in the train like train seat, absolute fucking gone. Like whoever was sat near me must have thought he whatever. Whatever he's listening to is fucking brilliant. It's to probably the funniest. It's, it's probably
0: the funniest moment on Loaded Sport so far. <laughs> I'll, tell what, episodes, I'll tell you what. i what. I wish
1: there time. was a camera on me about how much
2: I laughed at that because I was fucking gone. We're thinking about putting a new intro in. I don't. I don't want to see that <laughs> fucking anywhere near the intro. To be honest with you. But yeah, what I'm going to say is an absolute novice. Obviously, with the the rumours that Lewis Hamilton could potentially go to Red Bull, surely that would just make. F one even worse and even more dull. If he's, if 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 Max Verstappen's got a number two in in Lewis Hamilton, surely it's game over for everyone else.
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it, well, the, the boring answer I suppose is it's not happening, is it? Surely not, Sh- Adam. Please, like for me, that's a shot that will never ever ever. I'll go, Kemp. Okay, I'll put my mortgage on it. I ain't got a mortgage, but I'll put Tommy on it. Like it's not happening. Ooh, like that no really. that? Yeah, so,
3: that's <laughs> a big statement. Man. No, I don't think he will. I don't think he'll ever go to Red Bull. I think if he ever leaves Mercedes, it's going to be either to go back to McLaren or it's going to be to move on to Ferrari. I think they're really the only two options that he's going to have. But I think you'll see how his his career with Mercedes, I think that gives him the best opportunity to go on and and win the record-breaking 8th World Championship. Max Verstappen, of course, at the moment, he's going to try and get as close to that as possible. For them to end up teammates, I could see it just being like a dramatic fall from Red Bull. I know they both have two very fast cars, but they'll not be able to work alongside each other. That's something that you need in in Formula One, and Perez is doing that well to assist uh, Verstappen as best as he can. And Lewis Hamilton's had that from teammates in the past to help him get to where he is. And on on the back of that, what is your thoughts on Aston Mouth that's the question he's put in the chat. <laughs> and that's all for anyway, Formula we'll One this week.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I look forward to previewing um, Austria next week. Um, I don't know where we're going from here. Does anybody have a running order? What's the plan from here? Um, yeah,
0: it went <laughs> well. He's not been here for the last three weeks and he's gone again now, so well
1: done. Look well I could have been here every minute of every day and I wouldn't have been prepared for that so it don't <laughs> matter either way um but yeah you you are right. it, it's it's unfortunate it, you know I I saw someone at the start of the season mentioned that uh, you know Red Bull wouldn't see the effects of the the um fines that they got until the second half of the season so maybe in the second half of the season we'll we'll see things things improve from a uh, you know wanting to see an exciting race perspective but Suppose we won't know until we get there. But like we said, Adam may race this weekend, Austria is um next weekend. So we'll preview that next week and, and then Silverstone is uh, the week after that. So we'll have a couple of previews coming up uh, in future episodes. But again, even as a Red Bull fan, like I, I don't even like if it was Lewis Hamilton and we were talking to Gaz, he'd be like, absolutely buzzing about it, won't he?
3: But I, I think just, the only way that they can try and make this any fairer is actually input the the penalties that they've threatened. So they've brought in the the financial fair play equivalent in Formula One, Red Bull have broken it and the FIA have done pretty similar to what the FA are going to be doing with Man City and they've taken it very leniently which means they've managed to pretty much get away with it, still walk out as champions and they need to make sure that if they're putting that in to make it more entertaining and more competitive if teams aren't adhering to it then they're going to have to kind of like back that up haven't they and and put in some sort of uh, I don't even really know what the word is I don't know Well, the They've
1: tried for. that haven't they, they've tried to put certain regulations in place to not necessarily make it more even, but influence or encourage, I suppose, overtaking and things like that. But it's it's not it's not levelling the playing field. It, it's If anything, it's increased it. And I can't remember who I said it to recently, but it just seems like always there's one person dominating and then someone just behind it at the minute. It's just someone. I think it was Gaz because we were saying, oh, you never had an issue when it was Lewis and Mercedes dominating and now it's Red Bull and Max there's an issue, but I honestly do not, unless there's equal cars, like what are you going to do? It's tough, but, um Kemp, I am going to come to you this time again, for, uh, we just spoke about cricket, but uh, golf, uh, another major has come, it is that time of year, Um, the uh, second official major of the year, the US Open, talk us through it, my friend, uh, what did you see, what did you enjoy, who surprised you, who disappointed you, and uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on what happened over in the US? Crazy absolutely
0: crazy yeah the los angeles country club uh, hosted the us open um for um the 2023 us open prize money of 20 million dollars adam i always say that to you every single time we talk about prize money for golf adam uh, how much would you love to be uh, winning the uh, the us open this this year adam how, how much would you love to be uh, on that podium
3: all right, what's with the constant repetition of my name? What's going on? Have I missed a trick here or something?
0: <laughs> no, I just, I don't know if you remember last time we talked about a golf major. Uh, I asked you uh, how, how buzzing you'd be to win the prize money. I think it was $30 million that last one. I think it was the Masters. Um, and this one's $20 million. So uh, have you picked your golf clubs up recently, Adam, and had a swing and hopefully going get, to get to that $20 million in a few years' time? Yeah, well,
1: I mate. That's why he's not open with us about what he's doing at weekend. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I play a bit of golf. I'm just nowhere near any of that. So I'm not near your guys' standard, to be fair, either. So, Oh, mate, it wouldn't be
0: difficult to be near my standard at the moment. But the standard was very, very high at the US Open, with Wyndham Clark uh, winning the US Open. And a surprise to a lot of people that he did win the US Open this, uh, this week, or uh, this last week. Um, Rory McIlroy once again falling just, just short. Um, Dawson... Rory McElroy once again couldn't break his major duck. Couldn't get that one over the line in the end, um, and, and he was just peering over the winner's circle as Sam's peering over the top of his uh, top of his camera. Um, so Dawson, Rory McElroy falling short once again. How good must he be this week?
1: Good, mate. It's we're not too far off of ten years, are we, since a major win for for Rory? So. Yeah, he, he's he been in, in and around it. He was, I think he's, what, one shot behind come the end of the weekend. Wyndham Clark, I think is 32nd ranked in the world. Came a little bit of out, out of nowhere, but yeah, Rory is is right up there in terms of favourites and in the discussions pre-tournament every single time it comes around. So, yeah, no doubt he would have been gutted, but what can you do? You you move on to, I believe it's the, it's the Open next month, isn't it? So it's over here. And Kemp, i very quickly just related to golf but slightly a question that i always talk to about adam you know with the f1 calendar there's races all all across the world uh, world night races day races, and everything like that some some days you're gonna get or some races you're gonna get a race at 6 a.m some races like the las vegas race later in the year in november is going to be at 6 a.m our time some races like the canada canada grand prix that's just happened is at 7 p.m our time so as a golf fan los angeles like you mentioned. Tea times were well, 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 well late into the evening and the night. Next month, the open over here, you know, tea times at six in the morning. So as a fan, as a as a watcher of golf, do you prefer, you know, you've started your day, you've, you've you know, you've know worked through the day, you put your feet up and you watch your golf late at night, or are you a fan of, you know, it's on through the day while you're going about your business, or I suppose more specifically over the weekend, you've got your day to put your feet up and uh, watch what's happening. What do you prefer as a golf fan?
0: For me, I prefer playing golf first thing in the morning and I prefer watching golf first thing in the morning. I think it makes for better viewing. I think the surface can be a little bit more um, uh, unpredictable. They've had that overnight period where it it might be a little bit wetter, a little bit drier than they're potentially potentially predicting. Uh, So I do prefer to watch it first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee, get my feet up and get stuck into into some golf. Um, And with me watching the UFC for how many years I've watched it, I'm used to watching sports at silly times if I'm interested enough, but the broadcasters are always going to do what they need to do um, and the uh, and the US Open's always going to be on at a perfect time for, for that New York and that Los Angeles audience, so uh, it is what it is on that respect. But yeah, going back to the actual uh, event itself, um, Ricky Fowler, wow, that first round from Ricky Fowler was something to behold. Um, record-breaking, I think it was. Um, it was the, what was it? it was the 62 I think he ended up on that one um, and it was uh, 8 under par in the end um, so obviously at the end of that first round so yeah it, it was unbelievable from Ricky Fowler he got off to an unbelievable start not a lot of people were thinking that he was going to be in a position where um, he was he was leading the way so, so uh, convincingly after that first round uh, but then unfortunately just fell away towards the back end but what an unbelievable memorable first round for Ricky Fowler um, and one that he'll not forget in, in a long, long time. Um, usual suspects were up there in the end. Scotty Schaeffler, um, you've got your John Rams and your Xander Schaefflers uh, tied 10th. Um, Tommy Fleetwood up there as well. Uh, nice to see him getting himself back back into the uh, sort of top five. Um, that, that's always nice to see for for an Englishman like Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, but unfortunately, Matt Fitzpatrick did end up on uh, tied 17th to uh, even par, so level par. So uh, that was a little bit disappointing in the end. Um, but uh, but hey ho, um, what can you do? But yeah, Wyndham Clark finishing the the entire event um, on 10 under par. Unbelievable performance from him uh, over the course of the weekend. Really, really consistent and steady golf. And then really peaked towards the back end of the tournament, which you, you used to see Tiger Woods do back in the day. Not comparing Wyndham Clark to Tiger Woods in any way. but, but it's, You it's, just it's, did, mate. You just did. Well, That's there exactly you go. You did, no pressure, kid. No pressure, kid. Uh, but, but, yeah, um, it, it was really good to see that. And, and you know what? When you've got a seasoned elder statesman, which is what Rory McElroy is now, he's seen as the leader of the PGA Tour you know, he he hosts all the meetings for the PGA. He's really, really close and he's got that leadership mentality. And when he's breathing down your neck as, as closely as he is, and obviously if, if no, if you're not familiar with the format of golf, the, the sort of top three players or the top two players or, or are, however many it might be, they all play together on the last day, and, and obviously, the, the winner will, uh, will, the winner takes it all, as ABBA once famously said. Uh, but when you've got Rory McElroy breathing down your neck, it's never easy. But Wyndham Clark showed the real true professionalism of a, of a fantastic world class golfer um, and deserved his $20 million prize purse. So, the US Open, a fantastic weekend of golf. Los Angeles, Los Angeles Country Club did not make it easy. I think there was a 260 yard or 250 yard par three in there, which is absolutely ridiculous. I <laughs> pro- how, how many do you reckon you do that in? I was just about to say, probably about nine. I think is a is a is a close estimation as to how uh, how I'd get on with that one. But uh, that's fair. but yeah. But, yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting. We've got the Travelers Championship taking place uh, this weekend at TPC Highlands. Um, that's not, obviously, as high as, as higher stakes, and, and it's obviously not one of the majors, uh, but there's uh, if, if you are a big golf fan, obviously we'd love to discuss it in the Discord chat with yourself that we've just set up, and we'll di- more details about that will be uh, coming to you at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, w- w- what's everybody else's thoughts on it, and, uh, and, and 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 what did everybody think to the Los Angeles Country Club as a course? Because to be honest with you, there's a few bucket list courses. There's Augusta, there's St Andrews. Uh, that one ain't on it. It looked uh, <laughs> pretty brutal. So uh, I'll leave that one to the pros.
1: Yeah, definitely, mate. And uh, like you mentioned, I was I was going to bring in the Travelers Championship. It's not a major, but it is one one of the more recognised sort of tournaments outside of the Big Four. um Keegan Bradley, an absolutely phenomenal first round, eight under. He's hit he's hit nine birdies and a, a solitary bogey uh, to put himself right at the top as the outright leader. Is there anyone sort of going into the tournament? Danny McCarthy, I mentioned last week um, as my sort of U.S. Open tip. He's he's gone six under after ten what a phenomenal start so i think warranting the the mention from me last week and over 100 to 1 odds to win the, the us open i finished i think i finished tied 21st, which grand scheme of things is a really good performance and i said he tied second six under after just 10 holes is there anyone that you've got your eye on as uh, as a potential fancy or someone to keep an eye on in this weekend well,
0: how can you not say Keegan Bradley after this first round? Uh, you know, he's, he's had an unbelievable first round, like you said, mentioned there, nine birdies and one bogey. It's, uh, it's a scorecard to die, to die for, that one is. Um, I can potentially see Shane Lowry ro- rolling back the years. Um, he's second on six under par, uh, to, well, tied second on six under par at the moment. Um, and I think he might just have that little bit of experience to take him through to the end. But for me... Shane Lowry or Patrick Cantley? Uh, Patrick Cantley is on five under par at the moment. Might be my two picks. And uh, Keegan Bradley doing unbelievably well. Fantastic first round so far. Um, But uh, but as we've already discussed with Ricky Fowler, um, if you don't get off to a a good footing on that second and third round, it can uh, come back to bite you very, very quickly. So, uh, yeah, again... In the Discord chat, anybody watching the uh, the 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 Travelers Championship this weekend? Uh, let's have a conversation about it in there, and uh, and let's get some uh, get
1: some predictions going. Yeah, definitely. And just because you're leading after one round, does it mean that you're going to be leading after four? And, and that's certainly the case going into the weekend. But uh, Sam, darts this time last year wasn't on your radar as a spot that you liked. Christmas came, feet up, enjoying the time off. And you toe into uh, the World Championship final. or oh, I suppose Christmas, it was after New Year. The greatest leg in darts that there, there ever was and ever probably will be. Uh, I mean, literally and officially, I don't suppose it can be better, but 2023 is the year in which you've really invested yourself in darts, both playing and watching as a fan. And uh, your first experience of the World Cup and uh, the doubles format and everything else. So talk us through. Wales are the winners, Wales lift the trophy, they take it off Australia. You as a as a fan, what what is your impression and what is your opinion of uh, the first ever World Cup of darts that you experienced?
2: Yeah, and my first ever uh, doubles format in anything uh, in, to do with darts. So yeah, that was an eye-opener. Um, going in, looking at Michael Smith, world number one, you're thinking, well, that's that's already a massive leg up on the competition. And then you mentioned it Sunday night when when they got knocked out. Um it doesn't matter how how good you are. It, that that format does not suit Michael Smith at all. He's a, he's a rhythm player. He, he's quick. He, Aggie mentioned a couple of months back. He actually annoys Aggie. How seems a bit careless when he's thrown him. He's just bang, bang, bang in the board. Normally, someone's going. He's right back at the board. At it again, and, and, he, and he's keeping that rhythm constantly. And yeah, you could tell that that format does not suit him as, at all. And uh, Rob Cross, whoever. Well, I know he he um, he was the next ranking one. Just behind Michael Smith, but that ranking system has to change because he was fucking awful, he was absolutely awful we'll start just covering quickly the quarterfinals I'm going to skip the group stage and, and uh, round 16, so quarterfinals was where England actually reached lost to the host 8-3 Germany Germany was absolutely unbelievable to be fair to them, the, the, the pairing just complimented themselves um, Clemens and uh, I can't think of his name if anyone, Aggie, you want to jump in at all? I don't know if you um, is it... Um, no, it's it's lost me. But yeah, they they they, they genuinely ain't it, and uh, just covering Scotland as well. They obliterated France eight 0 whitewashed them in in their quarterfinal. Uh, Belgium beat Australia eight seven in probably the game of the quarterfinal. Germany um, was game. Gabriel Clemens and Martin Schindler. Schindler, and it was sure something I couldn't think of. Yeah, Schindler, that's the one. Yes, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, the Belgium Australia game was, was was absolutely incredible. To be fair, it went right down to the wire eight seven to Belgium. Obviously, Simon Whit- Whitlock and um, Heta gave um, Vandenberg and... Oh, I can't pronounce the other guy's name. Um, gave, him, gave him a run from I'm sure can probably jump in at some point. And tell it him is That's That's the one, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know what, actually? Shout out to Vandenberg because I know uh, Skin is always the first one to give him give him a bit of a uh, stick. But I, for me, it was actually one of the players of the tournament. It, it was absolutely un- unshakable at times. It was just so smooth at the board. Uh, maybe the doubles format just suits him down to the ground because, you know, we were very below middle of the road in the Premier League. So maybe a slower, slower format just suited him down to the ground. I thought he, he was absolutely tremendous, to be honest. And then, yeah, to round out the quarterfinals, Wales beat Sweden 8-5. Um, another closer than perhaps first thought going into it. Wales, obviously, were a team to beat at this point onwards. And, and, yeah, Sweden, to be fair, held their own, pushed them all the way, but like 8-5 winners in the end.
0: And then, yeah, Sweden unseeded. Dennis Nilsson and Oscar Lukasiak. Um, Keep his yeah, name's un- coming, mate. <laughs> <them> coming. <laughs> yeah, unseeded. Nobody expected him to do anything. Um, a, a much, much lower ranked nation in terms of the darts, um, and gave Wales a, a real good run for the money, Sam. You're absolutely spot on there. And uh, mm. not one that I expected to see, but I think no. in tournaments like this, I don't think I don't know if you'll agree, but I think a, a close, closer game than you expected there. I don't think it was too close, but a closer game than you expected. Does that kind of make sort of shock you and think right? Okay, come on now, you know we could we could get beat here by anybody. We really need to step up and, and sharpen our game. And yeah. maybe that's what led to Wales potentially getting the getting the victory in the end. You, you yeah, don't know. You're probably, yeah, you're probably right there. And um, I think
2: England Germany was the last up on, of the quarterfinals. So I think the Germans just, uh, especially the, the crowd, sat there quietly simmering away up until that final quarterfinal, and it, it was very loud every time Michael Smith went up. It, they were giving him shit. They were booing him. And uh, it just couldn't find that rhythm at all. And, and Rob Cross, I've never ever seen anybody's stance so unorthodox in all of darts. It just looked like he was off balance every time he threw it. He got his elbow up here, his, his non-throwing elbow up here. It just looked so. I feel, I feel
1: like that's just on that point because that's something you've picked up again as a relatively new fan and something that. I've always felt hasn't quite worked with Smith and Cross as, as a partner. Smith is very fast, bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang. You mentioned about his, you know, how he quickly works out what he's where he needs to player. go, and he just, yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah, And Cross is very much like if he if he's got a three dart checkout, it's the first, it's the second. He takes a minute and he steps back. And I do think part of that leads into the fact of his stance of he needs to kind of reset himself and readjust. To, completely with you on that, and the fact that you've picked that as a relative novice. Yeah. two darts and then <laughs> he just got into it over the last six months it, 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 yeah completely agree I just wanted to say that from someone that's watching more for for longer 100% agree with that
2: yeah it's just very unnatural I don't know why his non-throwing was that eye open he's like leaning forward yeah it's every throw just like your back one push in his back it would be on the floor it would look like that you're always wanting to obviously have firm feet planted as you throw and get that power accuracy but yeah moving on to the the semi-finals obviously Wales then uh, went on to beat Belgium Vandenberg as I say again in that game it, it was absolutely tremendous but um but uh, Johnny Clayton and the uh, the uh the Iceman just had had a bit too much for them. Um, I can't remember which game it was, I've got a feeling it was the quarter-finals, I think Johnny Clayton was way off it, it, it just wasn't good at all. And it it was the
1: quarter because been... I properly started watching the semis, and that's where he stepped up, so it was definitely yeah. the quarters.
2: Yeah, the, the semi-finals, I think he finished with an average of something like 113, I think, and it was just absolutely mind-blowing, and he, he, then, carried, he then carried him um, Price over the finish line into the final, so yeah, fair play. Uh, that's uh, that's obviously why he's there. So, and um, and that's why you need to strengthen your number two man, as as I mentioned in the uh, in the in the previous uh, the previous show. Uh, Scotland um, did what England should have done and beat Germany eight five. Um, good performance from uh, Peter Wright and Gary Anderson. It's good to see Gary Anderson back. Uh, obviously, I, I'm saying that I never really was watching it. It's my favourite of all time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, and I can kind of see why I, I've seen him. He's got a bit cheeky into. He he's, uh, doesn't really doesn't really give a shit what he's saying. He, he, he has to watch what he's saying in a lot of interviews. He swears a lot. And yeah, it's a bit of me. I'll you know, him, in
1: I'll, I'll, I'll chuck you a link after this because I know Kemp yeah. not him purely for his Scottish. But the the whole fart gate thing. Goodbye. Like, I've seen <laughs> it. I've seen <laughs> it. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. it. Very, very uh, do you know,
0: funny. Do you yeah. know what? No, I, I don't like Gary Anderson. It's not because he's Scottish, but I, I just, I, me personally, I, I don't really like him in some of the interviews I've seen and stuff like that. But do you know what, Sam? Before you, st- obviously you started watching Darts, um, started this year, a couple of years ago, I think I mentioned to you before, Gary Anderson was the man to be. He was mm. the man of the hour who was too sweet to be sour at that point in time.
1: Yeah, a couple of back injuries and stuff like that, and you know, I can happens. imagine then. And his, uh, eyesight, and
0: his eyesight went. He he would. I think he come second in the World Championships once and said, "Oh, I couldn't see anything." I mean, if that's okay. how good you are, cause <laughs> you can't see anything. Then bloody, hell will get a pair of glasses and off you go. Yeah, I've seen
2: a couple of clips of the. Um, is it the Glasgow um, Premier League? Is it Glasgow? Yeah, yeah it is. In- no, was it Aberdeen? Aberdeen, yeah. Aberdeen, sorry, Aberdeen. Of course, it is. Aberdeen Premier League, and it's just the atmosphere looks absolutely unbelievable every time he he, he was on. So yeah, I'd like to see him back in the Premier League at some point if um, if he can do that. But uh, semi-final rounds out with Wales demolishing. Oh no, that's that that was the final. Sorry, I'm I'm reading it out there. So yeah, the the, the semi-final was obviously Wales eight Belgium seven, Scotland eight, Germany five. And then the final was just a, a bit of a damp squid, I must admit. So we was built up and built up and and Scotland were looking quite likely, quite tasty. And then in the final uh, Peter Wright just fell apart. And Gary Anderson to be fair he didn't play too bad. I know they've only won, won two legs there, but he, he didn't he was definitely the, the player between the two of them. But yeah, Wales were just on form, both of them firing all cylinders and uh, yeah it was a pretty pretty short work for them in the end.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. And, and Sam and Kevin, credit to you for predicting uh, Wales last week mm, on, on yes. episode 53. And, and, and Sam, I, I mentioned in the chat, but put it to put it on the record for everyone watching is that I think it was one of your best points you've ever made about any sport was the fact that the strength of that second player, that backup play was more important than the strength of the first and well, it paid off for Wales in the end, didn't it? So that yeah, you were absolutely right with that. But but Adam, as someone that, you know, unfortunately mate, you were the odd one out. You, you did back England, whether that was a bit of heart overhead, you've mentioned before that you are a fan of Rob Cross. I've mentioned before that I'm not that much of a fan. He came out of nowhere and won the world championship, but is there potential now? I know the World Cup isn't going to be another two years away, but do you have to start looking at an Aspen Aldi and have to start looking at Luke Humphries, who is currently fifth ranked in in the world? You know, is it time to to sort of break that current partnership up and, and look, for, look towards the future to get them over that hurdle?
3: Yeah, I think Luke Humphries was a bit unfortunate not to have made it into the Premier League this year. So I'd, I'd like to have seen him in place of Rob Cross. I know I was a fan of Rob Cross, Anyway, um, I just think he's he's lost a little bit from where he was when he won that World Championship. I know you said he came from nowhere, but he performed really well to, to take that championship then. And he really shown a lot of promise for himself for his career. But it looks like it was just a one-off thing for him. And I think you need to split up him and Smith. I think there were times where he were making some throws that you could see Smith in the background disappointed with those toes that were being made. And that's not really what you need from from a team. So you need two people that are going to be on the same page. And I think Humphreys would be able to complement Smith's style quite nicely. And I think the two of them would be able to work quite well together. But like Sam's already said, he, he thinks with Smith having that fast pace, it does irritate me. But at the same time, he's very quick with it and he's very precise with it. So it's one of them things that's more jealousy than anything that he can do it. But when you look at that sort of format, He's then got to wait for three more people to throw darts before he can go up again. He's, he's at some points lost a little bit of his rhythm at that that point. So I don't think it necessarily suits him. I wouldn't say go as far as replacing him, but I think Rob Cross certainly needs replacing him before the the next doubles tournament or World Cup. It's
1: tough because you know there's been arguments in the past like Van Gerwen and, and Soljevic. And you know, Van Gerwen is a very fast-paced player and playing like a player like who who's very slow. That, that halts the rhythm, so I suppose it's a very different conversation when it's doubles and your partner is a bit of a slow-paced player. That must affect your game so much. So it would be interesting to see, you know, if they do potentially make changes. Also, but
3: sorry, I think it also depends on, how man. effective they are because Rob Cross wasn't effective. He wasn't hitting the numbers that were required. So I think with Michael Smith going fast pace, you can afford to have your teammate that's a little bit slow. If as a result of it, they're still hitting the numbers that you need to hit to get you over the line, and Rob Cross wasn't doing that. Bit bit
2: of controversy, I mean, like we say, Michael Smith just doubles, doesn't seem to be his, his forte, as a rhythm player, as a fast player. Do you think there'd ever be a time or a conversation of potentially
3: replacing him? Aggie? Uh, Michael Smith?
1: No, yeah. that's what I mentioned, I don't
3: think you can replace him, because when he's up at, at the hockey, I think he's he's too good. And I think when he's got that rhythm behind him, he, he, he can be one of, or he's already proven that he is at times the best in the world. Would yeah, you agree? Man. I know you. You obviously, as a Smith fan.
2: Yeah, I, I like Smith a lot. Big fan of him. Um, probably my favorite favorite darts player right now. So I'd say no personally. I was just kind of playing devil's advocate in the fact that doubles clearly just doesn't suit his game. So are we willing to put up with that? You know, there's always going to be that bit of a hand tied behind his back when it comes to darts, um, double in the doubles format. But yeah, no one's no one's disputing his his, his Probably the best player in the world. I mean going price is right up there at the minute, but yeah, um it's just a just a conversation in it.
1: So before we uh we get stuck stuck into Kempis Combat Corner, Sam, first time World Cup doubles format. What's your what's your opinion on it?
2: Yeah, loved it. Nice uh, nice change of pace um from obviously the, the standard Premier League format. Uh, so, yeah, I, I will definitely be tuning in. Uh, you said uh, two years' time. I'm not sure on that. I think it's every year.
1: I thought it was every two years. So correct yeah, me if I'm wrong, please. It's,
2: it's every year. And um, what I don't like about it... I'll tell you what I don't like about it, actually. I don't like that it's been Frankfurt for a, about three years on the bounce. I don't, I don't rate I'm that... I'm glad up. you said
1: that. I'm glad you have said that. Carry on.
2: Yeah. It's, I don't, why wouldn't you have it in a different com- country every single time? It's just mind-blowing to me that... That Germany are always the favourite not favourites, because obviously they've got pretty average players. Well, Clemens would class, to be fair, and he probably will be up- coming on the circuit. But yeah, just to-, to give them that home crowd every time just seems a little bit off to me. And you know, put it in, put it in the O2, put it in um, Rotterdam. You know, put it, put it in in Germany, mix it up around Europe, and even take it out to Europe. You know, take it to the Amer- Americas and. And even uh, even Japan or Asia, anywhere like that. that I not think... be a
0: bad idea for me, in my opinion, to, to, to the, the old Eurovision. If you win it, it's at your uh, it's yeah. your gaff for the next year. I thought that would be over be a the weekend I like it. Maybe
2: so, maybe so. Well then, and, and then, new... and
0: then, you know, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and and the, the PDC have been mentioning they want to open up darts to a, a new audience um, with the help oh, of Ariel. I'll Saudi Arabia
1: the... next time then,
0: yeah, with the uh, help <laughs> of uh, Ariel Helwani on the uh, in in the USA, in New York City. Um, they they had an event at Madison Square Garden, which I think did really well. So yeah, um, I definitely think that wouldn't be such a bad idea because you know what. The, the, the darts fans in that country will be riding the wave um, of the uh, of the previous year, and uh, and they'll be definitely uh, definitely right, be right up for for going to see their 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 home nation champions uh, defending their crown at home. I think that'd be a really good idea and I, one I'd like to see implement. So good point from you there, Sam.
2: Well, it's a nice idea. Yeah. I, I must actually slightly disagree with the period, I must admit, I, I don't know if I quite like the Eurovision format. The only reason is. It, it, you kind I think you kind of get trapped in a vicious circle with that. So I think you'd be passing it between England and Holland and potentially Belgium. And surely that's London. surely that's
0: better than Frankfurt every year, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely better. But I'm, I'm just
2: saying it doesn't have to be one or the other, does it? I mean, it's yeah. For me, I op- open it up to to the whole world and have I- countries host it that have not done well in it, and all of a sudden that would build interest that way. And you know, I-, I think if I think if you went to the people that won it, that instantly gives them that advantage for next year. They've in- they've won it. They're obviously good. They're going to have their own crowd behind them for next year. So. Yeah, you have got to look at n- it in a
0: commercial sense, though. I mean, you've had some teams that have, that have played in it this year. I mean, just to give you an example, and no disrespect to you know Guyana, um, but you know they're not going to come close to winning it. And if you try and host an event in Guyana, how many tickets are the PDC going to sell for? Maybe one of their best uh, profitable uh, weekends no, it, in darts it, over it, the it, course it of the year. So Problem it, it, it,
1: so it, kidnapped. It, it would be one. It'd be the one the most. <laughs> carry on <laughs> it'll be white hot crowd I can't believe you said that but um, yeah leave it there the next major tournament is the world match play which is next month in Blackpool it's a great tournament so Sam um, I'm sure you'll enjoy that one and we'll, we'll preview that when the weekend call. I can't believe you said that there's no editing anymore so we'll have to leave it here. no no fuck that I'm going out I'm Bobby Lee baby we're well, we're we're that. Yeah. I
2: can
0: oh, see what
1: yeah. I
2: want.
0: Are we going to find? Are we going to get onto the final every edition of Kempy's Combat Corner?
1: Then are we? Uh... Yeah.
0: Mate, fin- finish up away. with talk. a bang before, so we're going to get cancelled as soon as this comes out so uh, <laughs> yeah
1: so, so hurry talk us through out mate and give us a little uh, early preview of what's coming up in boxing
0: yeah well if you are still listening I don't associate myself with those comments that Sam White has made Um they are not the views of myself or Lone and Sport um, UFC 290 is coming up in the in next, next weekend uh, the reason that I'm covering this now um, is due to the fact that I am away next week unfortunately well, all of us will be away actually on this uh, on this basis. But I'm actually away, and I won't be podcasted. I won't be recording next week as I am going on the Hollybobs and playing some golf. Um, but yeah, UFC 290 will be coming up next weekend with Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, the UFC featherweight champion of the world, defending his crown against Yair Rodriguez, the interim featherweight champion. Um, and, and what an absolute cracker that 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 that, that plans to be. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky getting that very, very razor-close loss against Islam Makachev uh, for the uh, undisputed lightweight championship in, uh, in his last fight, trying to become a double champ following the footsteps of Conor McGregor, Daniel Cormier, and the like, uh, unfortunately, coming up very, very well, only slightly short in that one, uh, and now has gone back down to 145 to defend his crown, as I say. Um, Brandon Moreno against Alexandre Pantoja in the co-main event for the flyweight title. Uh, this card is absolutely stacked off the chain. Um, an unbelievable co-main event. Um, Pantosia, um, not. Probably the most exciting prospects in that division. Um, but you know what? Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueredo and and, and and others along the way in the last few years have really sparked the flyweight division back into life. After it was potentially Going to be uh, swept under the carpet by uh, Dana White if TJ Dillashaw would have uh, would have won that 125 pound belt from from the old Triple C, uh, Henry Sahuda, um middleweight fight Robert Whitaker, Drakus Du Plessis, Robert Whitaker, a former middleweight champion of the world against rising contender and potential future star, uh, Drakus Du Plessis, um, in the battle of the, uh, the the guys from the lads from down uh, down south as it were, Drakus Du Plessis, South African, Robert Whitaker. Uh, from Australia and that's going to be a fantastic middleweight fight and and you'd like to think potentially the winner of that fight Will fight Israel Adesanya next for the middleweight championship of the world. Um, lightweight fight, a real, real cracker. Jalen Turner against Dan Hooker. Not that many title ramifications for this one, I don't believe, due to the fact that the lightweight division just is so strong and stacked to the to the gills with, with strong contenders. Um, but but the the middleweight fight between Bo Nickel and Trezan Gore. Uh, if you remember my uh, previous uh, preview on on a Bo Nickel fight, um, I told you guys that, that that he was the one to watch and uh, he finished his opponent with a plum in his in his UFC debut. So uh, watch out for Bo Nickel. I think it's going to be a very very quick night for him once again. Rising middleweight contender Bo Nickel. And in the in the main event of the prelims, we get the legend uh, ruthless Robbie Lawler against Nico Price in, in what promises to be an unbelievable fight. Um, I Believe they are both coming off of losses. Um, Robbie Lawler, I believe he's coming off yeah coming off a loss against Brian Barbarena. After beating Nick Diaz um, in a very, very poor performance by Nick Diaz, by by any means, by by, by anybody's uh, sort of measuring stick, so it's going to be a real, real interesting and real, really, really good uh, night of fights. Uh, UFC 289 was a little bit of a slow burner. We saw Amanda Nunes retiring from the sport as the greatest female fighter of all time, um, but ultimately uh, UFC 290 is back with a bang. Before that, we've got Josh Emmett versus Ilya Tuporia. This weekend, um, it's from the Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville. What's he doing? Um, yeah, what what an unbelievable fight this is going to be in, uh, in, in, in and have title ramifications potentially in the featherweight division. If not, getting very very close to that top two spot, hopefully for for either of those contenders or the top three at least. Josh Emmett again, he's got real knockout power. He, he's got no no he's got no problem with stopping his opponents uh, against Ilya Tuporia, a, a fighter from Georgia who's got a, a real up and coming contender who's who's got a, a pretty decent record to his name, thirteen wins. No losses, no draws, Um, and and like I say, he's on a 13-fight win streak, which, you know, last fight beating Bryce Mitchell, who's a hot contender as well. Um, It's going to be a very, very interesting night of fights this weekend. One more thing I'm going to very, very quickly cover on Kempi's Combat Corner, as we said, the final edition of Kempi's Combat Corner, um, is Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr., This is a fight that has been discussed in our Discord chat. I've mentioned it a few times tonight, but I'm going to mention it again. Penciled in for July the 29th. It is boxing, so it may get cancelled beforehand, uh, but ultimately, what an unbelievable scary good fight that's going to be the undisputed welterweight cl- title clash uh, is going to be taking place um in las vegas nevada at the t mobile arena a very very early slash late one for uk fight fans four o'clock in the morning but to be honest with you i think this one's going to be worth it it's the closest fight that i can't predict um in a long long time uh, terence crawford more seasoned more experienced but potentially a little bit slower you might say but more intelligent Errol Spence probably got the athletic advantage but, but not quite got the, the boxing IQ that Terence Crawford has um, this is a fight that boxing fans have been clamouring for for many many years uh, we will be previewing this in a little bit more detail closer to the time but guys Kempe's combat corner is, is absolutely on fire because we've got some fantastic fights coming up in the next few weeks um, and I'm looking forward to discussing a little bit more um, in, the, in, the, in a few weeks' time with yourselves. So, uh, as I've said before, a few times so far, we have got a, a new Discord uh, channel that we've uh, we've put together uh, to, to go alongside the Facebook community forum. If anybody wants to discuss boxing, MMA fighting, or anything like that with ourselves on Discord, uh, any predictions for this weekend's UFC, UFC 290, or like we've said, Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence, the fight of uh, of the year so far, and potentially the fight of the year altogether uh, on paper uh please drop it in there and we'd uh we'd love to discuss it with you so
1: good fights coming up dawson mate you must be absolutely buzzing as a combat fan but that is everything for episode 54 it's in the books and lads next week there is going to be no kempy so as usual when I'm, I'm here and i'm doing the business i'll talk about weekends but kemp more importantly talk us through the holiday that's coming up and why you're not going to be here next week
0: it's one that you know what it's at the point now where you know when you're so excited for a holiday it's not even excitement anymore it's literally just like get me on that plane I don't even care Feels feel um, sick Feels feel sick with excitement not, not even that mate anymore it's like Christmas
2: Eve a, when
1: you were a kid
0: I don't know it's, not, it's past that it's past that it's literally at the point where I've not had a proper holiday since before Covid so it's like oh my god Just get me there. Just get me on that plane. I think as soon as I get to the airport and get that first airport beer, I'll be really excited. But yeah, we're going to Spain. uh, A a loaded sport alum, uh, Mujib Sadat, uh, myself, um, uh, I don't know if I can mention the other two names. We might get taken off air for a second mate, mate. Uh, <laughs> Another couple of friends coming with us as well. Um, and we're going to be playing some uh, some golf next week and uh, hopefully putting uh, Xander Schaeffler and Tiger Woods and John Rahm to shame. I would doubt it. I'm taking extra balls just in case. But it's going to be a fantastic week and I'm looking forward to it. I think there's more um, danger
2: of us getting cancelled from you mentioning their names than me mentioning it
0: yeah, no, I would say so. Yeah, that's why I avoided it.
1: That's why I skirted around it as quick as I could. And I, uh, I won't be putting the mortgage on uh, you performing better than them, like you did with Arsenal. But, uh, but you mudge dip day one all or by yourself doing a couple of rounds of golf. Uh, dog, due to join you at a later date. That day one's got to be uh, nice and spicy and tasty, and it compared to the rest of the holiday. Yeah, nice one, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Ask you a question, mate, but it's all right. You pissed, Ken Me,
0: hey, sorry, sorry, I thought you were talking to Adam. No, Look I mean, I don't right. want to be He's talking not quite to Adam. Sorry, right, sorry, 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 sorry. No, go on, sorry, say
1: it again. Let's let's reset then. Let's re- yeah, can't reset can't Come back. Reset, seconds, but let's come go back, again. Back, so I've said uh, day one, you, uh, you, Dibbin, and Mudge, and enjoying life out on the course, dog, to join you at a later date. That day one's yeah. got to be uh, nice and sweet and tasty as the best day of the holiday, surely.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because dog won't be there, it will be ideal, and uh, and we are we are dreading his arrival to uh, to to the airport. But hopefully, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Benidorm Christmas special where they jump in the car with that random guy and he takes him up to the to the top of the uh, to the Salana. Uh, but hopefully, uh, Nardog gets uh, chucked in an unmarked cab and, uh, and 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 suffers the same fate of anybody going to uh, to a particular darts tournament. Uh, according to 10%, 10%. I, I, it it, it
1: wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be our first experience of being in a random country and dog getting in a random car, and us being worried and he think, about his and he safety. So, uh, and me
0: he thinking he's
1: gone. And me thinking he's gone. I'll tell you what. You've never been, you've never in your life been as scared of, of Kemp in the middle of the Czech Republic as dog has got in a random car and it's <laughs> sped off. And him, me and, me and me and Dave are in a in a bar enjoying ourselves, having the time of our lives. Kemp is in the middle of the Czech Republic, thinking his mate has just been <laughs> sped off in a random car, thinking he dead, so...
2: You know, the, the, what gets so, me most out of that whole story is, is Kent thinking poor Mama, what, what, how's he going to going break this to Mama? <laughs> that's like, the,
0: only I, I I <laughs> gonna... <laughs> the only thing I
2: could
0: think. The only
2: thing I could
1: think. It was oh. the right thing to think, to be fair, but uh, the rest of us were none the wiser, mate, so bless you for having gone through that experience. You're the only one that would come out of that with a, a negative experience, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll miss you next week, I'm sure, mate, but uh, as long as you're having fun, that's all that matters. Adam, what's uh, what's plan for the weekend, mate?
3: Um, I don't really have one. I think I'm just going to go on Sunday, probably go to uh, to Balber again. I'll never go on the nine holes, see if I can uh, beat my score from last time. Uh, other than that, just, just chill for the weekend. Hopefully the weather will be nice, so I'll be able to do that.
1: Yes, it's, uh, you're pushing like 25 plus on Saturday, mate, so it'll probably be the better day, but no rain plan, so you'll be fine if you want to get out of there. Sam, is it the star? Are you seeing Paul? What's happening?
2: No, not not this week. I don't think. Um, as as you know, actually, uh, we will be going tomorrow. We've both got the day off work. Uh, me and Katie have, uh, and we will be meeting you up in Sheffield on Friday night. We're going to a so bit, bit of food in Brewskis. And if anyone's seen that on Instagram, well, the food looks uh, looks absolutely tremendous. Uh, and then we're going to. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I've still not looked it up. So this is the balls completely in your court, court with this one. We're going to a bit of a a detective show and they're discussing some grizzly former grizzly murders and, and all that I thought you know what it's a, it's a bit of a change of pace it's something I've never 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 done before so yeah why not
1: yeah why not mate well we went to one in, in Rotherham a few months back which led to well if it went for that we wouldn't be going tomorrow night but uh, it was quite interesting learning a little bit about the, the sort of mindset of people like that that have done stuff so you're not going to necessarily learn much, but it's certainly an interesting uh, conversation. Are you trying to say that I'm of it.
2: equal mind of the people that commit these fucking murders,
1: <laughs> mate. I mean, i said it earlier, and I'll, but I'll say it again for the purpose of this. But when we went last time, she was taking notes, so I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit nice. concerned. But, uh, it's uh, yeah, you'll uh, you'll come out of it thinking, yeah, that was quite enjoyable actually. Sat I'm, there with sure sat there
2: with that. readers perched <laughs> on end of nose with notepads. Uh, Honestly,
1: right on, right on nub there on end.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nub's nub the way, did
1: it? That's almost it falling
0: is. off. Almost falling off. Uh, yeah.
1: It's got the perfect purchase right on a little bit there on end.
0: You don't need to start worrying until uh, she's got some string wrapped around them and then uh, and then you are in
2: trouble. Yeah, and got yeah, a it's, it's about, yeah. I, thought you, got was, a pencil I thought you were going to say a French moustache.
1: Moustache. <laughs> <laughs> That usually doesn't kick into like the fifties, does it? So it she'll be all right for a for a little bit at least. But lads, absolutely buzzing to be back. Nice one, well, brother.
0: What should we get them to
1: be? I asked you to that. Oh no, we asked nope. about the holiday. That's what it was. <laughs> we got a week before that. Like. Talk us through it. We have method. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Playing tomato. So We're playing tomato. Yeah, we'll be yeah. playing some Halo. Yeah we're, yeah, we're back on the heart train as well with with Halo. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll probably plug uh, Sam's Twitch channel in the in the Discord as well. Oh, I don't know about that. Don't know oh about yeah, that. we've got to do it. We've got <laughs> to do it. But he's, yeah, he's, um, he's not, not in the gaming text channel. Yeah, has he? Mm. Uh, not not just yet. Not just yet. But watch this space. But yeah, um, I, I was toying with the idea of going for a game of golf, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to save myself for when we go when we go away. Uh, I'm going to give my clubs a good clean. I'm going to get packed. I'm going to get all my stuff sorted for my holiday and I'm going to have a nice chilled one and uh, catch up on some gaming and maybe some series as well so a bit of a geeky and a bit of a boring weekend
1: but I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good to me mate and we always do predictions so I suppose while I've remembered give us a prediction who comes out on top on the holiday. Well there's
0: a few different games I suppose we've got a few games where a couple of games I think where we're just sort of going four ball. There's don't think you're games. talking about golf. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Talk about the bedroom. So we put that on top, mate. Well, oh, yeah, that's it.
0: Well, I would imagine that it'll be uh, it won't be dog. We know that for a fact. You know, if, if anybody's a bottom boy, it's him. Uh, but in, if we're sticking to golf, <laughs> joking, uh, he's have, not a
1: bottom boy, mate. He's sat in the corner enjoying it. <laughs>
0: that's true. Uh, we're gonna be um, we're gonna be playing me and Dib against Dog and Mudge. We're gonna be playing me and Mudge against Dog and Dib and, and so on and so forth. And we're gonna do one round where we're gonna play as a team, all four of us. And we're going to try and break 65. So that'll be a, a very, very interesting uh, round. And hopefully between the four of us, we'll be able to put a decent scorecard together. But
1: obviously... Part yeah, well,
0: Well, yeah, in, in La Manga, the <laughs> home of God. golf in Spain, I would imagine not. But uh, but watch this space. I think we've reserved that one for the mini golf day. I'm not quite sure, but we'll see. Um, but, but yeah, obviously watch this space. In a couple of weeks' time, I will be back on the podcast. I will review the holiday and everything that goes into it. Um, and I'm looking forward to it very much.
1: Can't wait to hear all about it. And you did remind me about the uh, Discord because I wasn't going to plug the socials. I was just going to say bye and that's it. But uh, yeah, uh, the socials, and I'll, I'll try and remember, I'm a bit rusty, lads, but I'm sure I'll better, do better than what you lads have done over the last couple of weeks. But uh, Facebook... Fair, I
0: think last I, week we did all right, to be fair. No, no, no. We no, no. I've
1: problem. got... You did. You're absolutely right. But I've got one pet peeve I'm going to call one person out for. Adam, people use apps, not websites anymore. So stop saying facebook.com. <laughs> forward slash whatever it is go on your facebook app and search loaded sport and click follow or like or whatever it is that is the option there if you want to join the forum search loaded sport community forum hit join one of us i you if you want to follow us on tiktok or twitter search at loaded sport this is the one instagram at loaded underscore sport just Get in. and then recently added this week we've set up a discord so if you're listening to this if you're at this point We've got a lot of different channels for a lot of different sports. So if you want to be a part of it, drop one of us a message and we'll add you to it. We'll send you the link. There's your social ads. Nailed it.
0: I think my pet peeve on your, your delivery of the
1: socials there, and,
0: and very well done. You didn't make any mistakes, but I think you've been very, very harsh on Aggie there, to be honest with you. You've got to remember no. Let me, finish, give my point. Let Let me no, finish my no,
1: point. I'm, I'm not letting you give him any credit. Two
0: weeks ago, this man graduated from the gramophone, right? So now you're gonna come to us and have a good about using websites rather than apps. If that boy has discovered the internet in the last couple of weeks and you're having a go at him like that, I can't believe it he's still got an hamster running route wheel to generate his electricity, so you can't fucking have a go at him about that one, come on
2: find us on Facebook at HTTP colon <laughs> <laughs> search I've like
0: Ask Jeeves or
1: AOL and <laughs> then what's your thoughts on to close it off mate, what's your thoughts on the, not recommended going on the app and searching for it over uh,
3: facebook.com forward slash whatever you said uh, loaded sport. I think a lot of people still use the the internet, so I think on websites <laughs> as opposed to using the app, that you'd be allowed to go on it.
1: No one's banned from it, mate. You're just sending them such a long way around. But anyway, good they night. Go they want. Week.
2: In a bit, boys. See you later.